Revolving co-host chair turns its way once again, not for the first time, to lovely Brooklyn, New York. And joining me is Fangraph's very own, uh, the king of Cooperstown, and so many other things. It's Jay Jaffe. Jay, how are you? Hey, I'm great. It's good to be here. Are you great? You know, I, I, I think I, I, I think great's a, a bit much in these times. Well, look, I'm a week <laughs> a week into my second vaccination. Ooh. Um, so you know, I'm uh, like, which just has been a huge psychological mood lifter. Um, you know, from the moment, from the moment that needle, you know, stuck in my arm, uh, and even, you know, before that, when I got the, the, the appointment, um, you know, work is, work is good. I, I love, you know, I love that I get to write about baseball for a living. Yeah. Um, my daughter is at a really interesting age. She's four and a half. She just, I just, uh, did, uh, uh my debut as an assistant coach in T-ball, um, which was an experience unto itself. Do you have track, um, man? Yeah, right. <laughs> Look, you little snot-nosed kids aren't going to get out of this league if you don't if you don't start figuring out launch angle. We're going to talk okay? about spin rate right now, guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. You know. I mean. Uh, comparatively, uh, I'm I I'm good. You know. Maybe. So, maybe. Maybe great's an exaggeration, but I am good. Can I? Can I ask which vaccine you got? Uh, I got Pfizer. How was your day two or your shot two? Um. It wasn't bad. It was like I had. I was, I thought I was doing okay for the first 24 hours. Then I went like three blocks to get my lunch. And suddenly I was like, oh man, I feel like I just pulled a sled full of bricks. Oh wow. Um, and what's got, you know, like a little, a little wobbly. And I had, I'd actually, this was last Friday and I had scheduled my fan graphs chat based on how I felt at like the 20, 21 hour mark. But at the 22 hour mark, I was like, oh man, this was a bad idea. <laughs> but you know, once I sat down and, 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 and stayed hydrated, I, you know, I, I powered through the chat and then I, then I went and I took like an hour long nap and was kind of, kind of cloudy and, after that, I, I was okay. Like I had a, I had beer that night, so you know it wasn't it, it wasn't like I wasn't delirious or or, or shivering. Uh, Emma, my wife, who had her vaccination a day later, got the shivers and had a, had a, a long nap, but she got through it pretty well too. So, gotcha. you know, I think comparatively lucky. I'm I'm two weeks away from shot two. Um, of okay, Moderna, of Moderna, um, uh-huh. and I, I I assume it's like I, I had a ba- I had a reaction not bad I had a reaction to shot one. Um, I end up with something called COVID arm, which I learned about from Doctor Google. Oh shit! What's that? <laughs> so it's it's so weird. Um, it's it's uh, and I, it was just a weird. So you know, my wife and I were able to make appointments together. Um, so we went and got the shot together, and uh, at the at the convocation center, which is like the you know max size basketball arena, uh-huh. um, and we got back, and it's like normal. Oh yeah, they I, you know my arm's a little sore because they put a shot in my muscle, right? Right, um, and that and then you know that went away, and then like eight days later, all of a sudden, like my vaccination, like it, it was it was hot and kind of red, 
Oh shit! <laughs> and then it got, and it suddenly felt like, like it, like not a big deal, right? It just kind of, just suddenly felt like a giant mosquito bite would be the uh-huh. best analogy. And I was like, well, this is weird. It's happening now. And so I did what any sane person does and consult, consulted Doctor Google, <laughs> and um, and Doctor Google told me about this mildly uncommon thing called, and they just call it COVID arm. It's 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 specific to Moderna. And everything I had was exactly a match. It's it's weird that it shows up like ten, generally seven to ten days later, uh-huh. uh, and you get some swelling and it gets a little hot and and then it goes away and it's not a big deal and don't don't change anything you're doing and and take a Benadryl and I took a couple of Benadryls and it lasted for like forty eight hours. No big deal. Uh-huh. Second shot in two weeks and I can't wait. Right. Very right. exciting. Nice. Yeah. It's a it's a huge psychological uh, pick me up. I found that just you know I mean it's. It obviously doesn't solve all of our problems, and we all still need to be vigilant and considerate and all that. But it's just, you know, it's uh, you're, it's just an avoidance of the worst case scenario. I think that 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 really is kind of the the load off. Do you have like a plan when you're when when you're clear for when you know when you're two weeks out? Like, hey, we're going to do this one thing we never did that we haven't done for a year. Like nothing huge. You know, but, like, I'm, I'm we're trying to get, go somewhere. Uh, yeah. Emma, Emma and I have talked about a few uh, a few restaurants. Uh, one, there was a great ramen place uh, near Ooh. us that went that, that went under. Um, this is almost like two three years ago. It was our favorite place to go with out of town guests. It was a great place to take our you know our kid when she was an infant because you could just give her noodles and she would just play with noodles all the time. Yeah, all, you know, super cute. Um, and they have been doing one of those kind of like pop up uh, residency within another restaurant type things in Lower Manhattan. And, you know, in the winter, it was a bit of a, 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 a you know, a bit of a, a math problem to try to figure out how we could make it work. And so we didn't bother. But now, you know, it's warm enough to, to, to sit outside. And if there's if they've got stools there, or stoops there, whatever, you know, we can go do it. So we're gonna, that's one. Nice. Uh, and the other one is tr- is plotting with my friends uh, to try to go to a Yankees game. We, I mean, we've been season ticket, partial season ticket holders since 1998. Um uh, three of us uh, ha- have been, and then our fourth came along in 2000, and it's been, you know, the same way since. And obviously, we didn't get to go to a single game together last year, so um, they're not. They didn't issue a plan this year because obviously everything is kind of uh, week to week, month to month. Right. Uh, but we have, I think, ticket credits left over from the deposit we put down last year, and so we were thinking that we might try to get all of us together. But some of us are not responding to emails, um, so uh, that, that's that's kind of on hold. But when you but, when but, you said you have a partial plan, is it is it like the four of you splitting up a full plan? Or? It's, yeah, it's 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 twenty. It was twenty games. Four of us splitting up twenty games in unequal okay. amounts, like. I would generally take about eight tickets, um, yeah, and and uh, you know some of our some of our partners would would only take on like you know four four tickets uh, right. here and there, and we would have to unload a few tickets, and that you know, and because I'm I'm also going to games uh, in press boxes, you know, sometimes sometimes it was it, you know it's been hard to schedule around, and we're all kind of uh, a little bit uh, um, picky about the weather. You know, so right. We, these we these are your these are your April night games, right? Yeah, these are your go to baseball as a as a good time tickets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is you know recreational, and it's and we can't. It doesn't really work right. for 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 bringing the kids. So that's that's a that's a new uh, that's that's a new thing. Although I suppose now I could probably take her on a Saturday afternoon if I was willing to do it myself. Um, just sure. just at random. She's now old enough that I could do that. It, you know, two years ago that was not an option. Well, like right now, what do you think you'd get out of her? Six seven innings. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, maybe 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 closer to five five to six. But yeah, I mean, you know, you pump some hot dogs into her. I was going to say she, you, you buy you buy one with cotton candy. You buy an inning with a hot dog. Yeah, and and truthfully, City Field is a much better much better place for the kid because of because of Mister Unis's Met. You know, she went in late late September two thousand nineteen and and just had a ball. Um, and it turned out like a whole bunch of people that we knew were there. Um, you know, including, you know, including some that had younger kids, you know, I'm not going to, I won't name names on here, but, uh, uh, people we know in the, in the baseball writing world. And it was super cute to see her, you know, hanging out with this older girl and just, you know, right, take, right. like just following her around like a little duckling. And, and, uh, um, you know, she got to take her picture with Miss, Mr. Met and, you know, it was just, it, it was just so sweet. And, um, you know, whereas when we took her to a Yankee game, it was she was still an infant, and it was sort of a you know kind of a proof and concept thing that yes, we can do this, um, and yes, we want to, we want to try this, um, but she has no memories of that. And we've taken her to Cyclones games, and you know that's that's uh, those have been those have been fun, but a chore because the travel time is is is, is a bit uh, complicated. Again, it's a math problem when you've got young kids because right. you know you're trying to factor in naps and feedings and and and, and all that and. Uh, you know, you just your head spins when you when you try to sort it out. But now she's getting she's getting to an age where it's where it's going to be doable. So uh, let's let's get right into it and talk about baseball. And and you know, you mentioned you have Yankee season tickets. I know you know you are new. You yeah, you're a New Yorker at this point. Yeah, and um, you know you obviously follow the team. Are the Yankees in trouble? They're five and seven as of this recording. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. They're five and seven, um, and and. Thus, creating plenty of uh, anxiety among Yankees fandom. Mm, yes. five and seven is not where they want to be. Uh, at the same time, if you look at like the overall stats, like the offense is above average, the pitching's above average. That said, um, you know there was kind of this this I thought bothersome narrative before the season started of oh they have Corey Kluber and Jameson Tyon and that's going to be great. Um, and like, well, what are you basing that off of? The fact that they were great years ago, right? Um, and and here we are, and and. Um, I don't think either guy's what they once was, and, and and you know I guess you know I know it's only twelve games, but is your concern level up a bit? Yeah, you know a little bit. I I was I was one you know one of the people who was sounding an alarm, saying, look, you've got you're depending a lot on Kluber, on on Tyone, and on Luis Severino coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, you got nothing out of the, oh, and and Domingo Herman, and you got you know literally nothing out of any of these guys last year. Um, you know what Kluber had an inning, um, and and that's it. And so much of of everything uh, hinges on what these guys do and and them you know remaining available. And that to me was always the weak link of the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, now when uh, Zach Britton went down, that was a kick in the groin too because he is just the glue of that bullpen. Um, you know, and 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 losing him for what half the season. Uh, is a big deal, and then on top of that, they lost Justin Wilson. Although really not for that long, he's already back uh, and, and pitching well. Uh, but the but the the pitching is the the, the rotation is concerned. Um, the the offense, I'm I'm not so worried about. I mean, Aaron Judge is staying in the lineup. Giancarlo Stanton is staying in the lineup. That hasn't happened very often in the last few years. Uh, those guys will hit. Even you know, Judge hit two homers yesterday. Uh, Stanton has kind of struggled so far. Yeah. Uh, so, some of their other hitters have kind of struggled so far. W- you know, it's but losing Luke Voigt is a blow. And man, I I just do not understand the fascination with Jay Bruce. Um, 
Yeah, and even and even Odor. I mean, like I know that that they don't have a lot of left-handed power in, in reserve, but you know, taking whoever arrives at the bus station, uh, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it seems seems to me to be a bit a bit short-sighted. You know, when you've got when you've got uh, right-handed hitters who can go opposite field to take advantage of the short ports like Judge uh, and like DJ LeMahieu. I think it mitigates some of the concerns you have about lefty-righty uh, balance. But, you know, and I know that there's always going to be some amount of criticism of, you know, there's there's too much swing and miss in this in these guys. It's too much boom and bust in this offense. Um, which, you know, again, DJ LeMahieu kind of mitigates. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I would say I'm, I, I'm not terribly concerned about the offense. It's it's mainly the rotation right now. Okay, and and you know, it's at the same time, it's it's just you know, you look at the standings, and and God knows, looking at the standings on April fifteenth, a silly, silly thing to do, um, you know. But the one thing that kind of stands out on the other side of of, of the country is the Dodgers look every bit as good, oh, if not yeah. better, than anyone. Everyone thought everyone thought this was the best team in baseball entering the year. They are the best team in baseball so far. They're ten and two, and it almost feels like I, you watch them, you go, man, how did they lose twice? <laughs> um, it's 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 i can't remember a team this good in recent memory to be honest with you um and, and i'm people are starting to talk about and, and look it's early and i'm sure things will go wrong i'm sure someone will get hurt because that's the way the world works but i mean right now if some casino in vegas calls you up and says hey jay we're, you know we're setting a bet for the dodgers right now as far as you know so an over under bet on season wins um, can you help us set the line? What would you recommend? Uh, you know, I would I would start with about 108. I think I think that one. You know, we saw the Red Sox win 108 games a few years ago. Um, I think this team is is kind of that territory. They're gonna, you know, I think if they only win 100, it'll be a disappointment. Right. Um, I you know I don't know. I mean, you know, and if they get lucky, yeah, maybe they maybe they go at the. Uh, uh, 98 Yankees and, and and 2001 Mariners, but you know that's a, that's that's kind of that, that's a bit much. It's, What's that, it's what is that number again? One one sixteen for the Mariners, 16. and then one fourteen for the Yankees. And I had a you know I had a I had a, a close up view of those Yankees. That was the first year we started our ticket package, and and you know it was also kind of for me kind of an you know an inspiration to to start writing about baseball. So uh, I have a, a special you know fondness for that team and 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 whatever. And you know this team, this team could be on that level. They just got such ridiculous depth um, that you know if somebody you know knock on wood. I mean, we've already seen guys get hurt. You know, we've seen Cody Bellinger go down. We've seen Mookie Betts miss a few games. Um, ain't no thing for them. You know, they're, they're they're they've got somebody else to plug in. All of a sudden, it's the Zach McKinstry show. Oh, I mean, God. who, who ever heard yeah. of that? Yeah, who ever heard of Zach McKinstry? You know, it's it's just like they just keep coming up with guys and and you know just. Full seasons or, or longer seasons of Walker Bueller and Julio Urias. I mean, those guys are damn good young pitchers. I, you now. mean they're back of the rotation guys? Yeah, they're back of the exactly. <laughs> they're back of the rotation guys. <laughs> you know, I think like Dustin May is still working out the kinks and and and, uh, uh, and I think needs a third pitch or whatever. You know, for and for you know for as dazzling as as the, you know those, all those ninety nines are. Um, but Urias is just ungodly, and 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 likewise Bueller. I mean, you know the the what those two showed in, in last October, you know, stepping up time after time and just you know throwing huge huge innings for them. 
uh, was, you know, was really impressive. And I'm excited to see what they do over the course of uh, uh, a full season, even though, you know, they'll probably face some, some you know, workload. Uh, um, yeah, they'll do some workload load, alleviation. Load, load management, uh, to use load, the NBA load, term. Yes, load management. That's the word we're looking for. Um, I'm, you know, I'm somewhat optimistic about Kenley Jansen. That was really kind of, I think, one of the things I was fretting about. I know he's had some, you know, some uneven uh, performances so far. Um, but I'm hopeful that he can get back to being, you know, a, a guy who we're not talking about from outing to outing as to whether he sh- he should still be closing the games as opposed to, um, you know, to, to somebody else. But they do seem to have uh, some intriguing depth there too. Yeah, I mean, you talk uh, about you know, like like Zach McKintree, but like obviously this guy's a, a way better known guy. But but Corey Knebel has been yeah. I mean, this is a guy who always had well above average stuff and well above average command issues. Um, He's throwing strikes, and and a strike throwing version of Corey Knable is absolutely closer worthy. Um, yeah, and, and just another piece that they just kind of said, "Hey, let's see if we can fix this." And, and that was a, that was a really quiet acquisition too. Very and, quiet, and, yeah. And and just kind of you know, and, and and it's good. And they and they brought back Blake Trinan, who had kind of an uneven year last year, but I think is you know generally you know in in the circle of trust. Um, and I you know I still think that that. They can use somebody from their rotation surplus, um, you know, whether that's May or Gonsolin, you know, once he's healthy or or Price, um, that those guys will be, you know, if they're shut, if, you know, whoever winds up shuttling back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation. And I think Arias, you know, is going to is probably going to face that uh, at some point, given, you know, his his load management needs, mm-hmm. it, you know, th- they're going to have. They're they're going to have an advantage there too because they've got starter caliber pitchers throwing relief innings and even though it hasn't clicked for like David Price so far, it's it's probably going to work better for these guys than it is for you know your typical you know ninth tenth eleventh twelfth guys in your staff. Yeah, I mean I, I'll be honest with you. You, you said it at one oh eight. I'm betting the over. Uh, I would <laughs> think if they called me, I'd probably go somewhere like one oh nine and a half or something. Yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, you mentioned like the team or one of the teams that's kind of your landmarks is that great Yankees team. And for me, it's it's the 86 Mets, which that, right. was, a, that was 108. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, this team feels better than that. This team feels better than that Red Sox team to me. I think this is this is as good as it gets. And I, it doesn't mean anything because the playoffs will be a crapshoot. But right. like, I, I don't think anyone's going to catch them this year as far as the regular season goes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's gonna be fun to see them, you know, play the Padres because the Padres just look so, you know, look look so fun right now, uh, even though they don't they don't have Tatis back yet. Um, uh, you know, the, just the additions that they've made uh, elsewhere uh, certainly, you know, add some uh, add some flavor to it. And 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 those two, you know, they, those two teams played each other pretty tough last year. Um. You know, I, I mentioned the, on the Dodgers thing, just that you look at the record and you're like, I don't know how they lost two games. Um, the Cubs right now Oof. are five and seven, and I don't know how they won five games. Um, <laughs> this team is currently in last place by a pretty wide margin as well in, in all three triple slash categories. Right now, as a team, they're hitting like a bad hitting pitcher. This is the team line, 12 games, over 400 plate appearances. 163, 254, 307. Um, that's a Jeez. team. That's as a team. They're everyday players. Uh-huh. Um, right now, if you look like their everyday lineup, two guys are over the Mendoza line. Uh, three guys have an on-base over 300. Uh, and and 
they're just not scoring runs. Everything's been a disaster. Um, I wrote about Javi Baez's struggles, oh, yeah. which which have become his approach has gone from bad to historically bad. Right. Um, and he currently in 47 plate appearances, one walk, 21 strikeouts. Oh. Um, Anthony Rizzo's hitting 171. New outfielder Jock Peterson's hitting 108. Ian Happ's hitting 143. Um, Chris Bryant's been pretty good. And and that's it. And that's you, how they you know, won five games, Chris. Because Chris Bryant has you know, hasn't sucked. I mean, right. Chris Bryant that, hasn't that's about, sucked. That's about all. And Craig Kimbrell's been amazing. I wrote about him the other day. You did. Um, and, it's, and again, like he's been like it's it's six hitless innings, just one walk, ten Ks. Like he's it's been a bit of a rebound. And, and from what you can tell, this looks like he figured something out. Yeah, he definitely figured it out. Go, going back to last year, middle of last year, he had I think he had something like had retired. When I wrote about him, he had retired. All 14 batters he faced this year and 35 out of 38 going back to mid-September last year. Uh, he actually completed a hidden perfect game um, mm. uh, with his next outing, his fifth outing of the year. Um, got to uh, got to 27 outs in a row. Um, and uh, it's funny, as as we write this, you know, or as, as, as we talk, uh, you know, the, the afterglow of Carlos Rodon, you know, everybody's kind of disappointed he didn't get the perfect game. Well, he did get a hidden perfect game. So it's like two Chicago pitchers completed hidden perfect games in, uh, uh, in, in, in this, you know, in less than a week in here. And I'm uh, hopefully going to be writing about that here for, uh, uh, for my next Fangraphs piece. Are, are we in a position like, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this with our special guest, JJ Cooper, uh, when we talk about the rule changes. Um, but with the, the, the dramatic rise in, and what everyone seems to be calling these days, three true outcomes, baseball, are we just set up for more no hitters at this point? Yeah, I think so. And I kind of looked at, I've, I've looked at this in a, in a, in a few different ways. Um, you know, one of them was this, this hidden, the hidden no hitter thing and the, and the, uh, um, the, uh, uh, the no hit bids uh, that that fall short, or the and the and the multi pitcher uh, no hit efforts, and the guys who get pulled with the no hitters. I've got like I've done pieces on all these different topics, uh, and and it really is true that what we, you know we have these conditions where you've got you know low batting average, high strikeout rates, fewer balls in play, you know fewer you know fewer things that can go wrong in the field, um, and so yeah, you do have you know kind of a petri dish for for growing no hitters and and especially you know once you kind of detach yourself from the need for uh, a pitcher to to go you know to get all 27 outs himself um and you've got that parade of guys throwing 98 coming out of the bullpen and giving you know giving uh hitters different looks every time through the order because you know with arm angles and and repertoires and things like that yeah i think it, it's you know all the more reason that we're going to see um, you know, potential no hitters, and here we're what we're two weeks into the season. We've seen two so far. And I, um, I thought I found it kind of interesting that, that both no hitters were not massive strikeout games. You know, Musgrove struck out ten, um, Rodon struck out seven. Yeah, huh? Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really considered. I actually didn't see a lick of the Musgrove game. Um, I forget. Well, I think we were. I don't know what we were doing on the home that night, but but uh, 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 I was rec- recording another podcast last night and. Uh, and Dylan Higgins uh, said, "Is you know, right when we were kind of reaching the point of, uh, um, uh, you know, of 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 wrapping things up, he said, uh, you guys might want to stop and go turn on the White Sox game.' Mm-hmm. Um, and so I caught, the, you know, caught the ninth inning just in time. Um, and yeah, it's you know, so I didn't I didn't really get a sense of of how dominant they were, but you know, it, I think it is notable that that we've got these two so far, um, and everybody's worrying about you know the." 
are, are we ever going to see starting pitchers throw no hitters again? It's like, yeah, well, we got them right here. Yeah, here's um, two. And I wonder, I wonder if the new ball is a factor. Um, you know, I, I, well, it seems I, like I, the new ball is to, to, to quote our own fan graphs, right? It's confusing. Yes. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> exactly. And I'm, I'm still confused by it. Um, you know, I'm still confused by it. And I imagine players are, are, are still confused by it too. But, uh, um, you know, these, these things happen. And we've seen just in general, we've seen a lot of no hitters in recent years. And I don't expect that we're going to stop seeing them. And, and if not no hitters, then at least no hit bids uh, that sort of keep us on that tightrope, which is, is, is fun. Um, Craig Edwards, uh, you know, who you did not, you exactly non-overlapped with in terms of your right. tenure here, uh, wrote a cool thing a few years ago about when when is it time to start paying attention in a no hit bid? Um, you know, and a, a lot of it has, you know, kind of, you know, uh, makes a difference in terms of, uh, um, you know, a, an individual viewer's aesthetic preference, you know, as to what your, you know, what your risk tolerance, not risk tolerance, but, you know, what your tolerance is. Me, you know, I, I'm at the five inning mark I'm in, you know. If, if really? The gets, yeah, I'll, I'll be like, you know, let's check this out. I mean, I'm not going to be like edge edge of seat in, but five innings in, I'm like, okay, let's let's see so where this goes. So at five, so, you know, you're, 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 you're. I don't know how you watch baseball. I, t- I use uh, MLB.tv on Apple TV and kind of flip through games. And yeah. You, know, you can kind of go down and see who's on base and you know go to where the, the, the tension is. Um, I don't think I'm switching to the no-hitter until I'm, the 7th. I'm, I'm probably not switching to the no-hitter in, you know, at that point if it's, if it's just five innings. But I'm, unless it's a team, that, or a team or a pitcher that I'm interested in. I'm not – because we don't switch around that much. You know, I'm like – because of the way my my day works with you know getting our kid out of school at uh, uh, you know at two thirty um, and having to you know having to do some parenting between that time and dinner, mm-hmm. um, you know I'm almost invariably writing it writing after she goes to bed at nine o'clock, um, and so a lot you know from maybe like nine to eleven I've got the TV on and it's just you know might be the the later innings of the Yankees game might be the early innings of the Dodgers game those are my kind of my two default settings. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll flip around and if somebody's telling me something interesting is going on, um, you know, I, I'm on that, but I'm usually not, um, you know, changing the, ch- changing the channel every, every inning, um, except, you know, once I'll flip back and forth between the Yankees and the Mets because they're one, you know, one notch apart on the, on my, uh, you know, on my remote control. Um, so you know, if, if one if you know if one of those teams is is, is has got a guy going through through, through five, I'm in. Um, but the rest is kind of kind of swapping around. But you know, if I've got both hands on the keyboard, I'm not I'm not actively switching around that much. Okay, um, we had a strange one last night in in Houston, where uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, four ninths of their everyday lineup got put on the yeah. the injured list. Um, we don't really have all the details. They were put there, you know, due to health and safety protocols, which is the the buzzword of the season at this point. Um, I was I was disappointed not here out of an abundance of caution at any point <laughs> in any of the statements. Um, Come on, that would have been bingo on my card. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but they lost Jordan Alvarez, Alex Bregman, uh, Jose Altuve, Martin Maldonado, um, uh, backup. They're you know kind of utility guy, Robel Garcia as well, and. Um, it's they didn't play. It sounds like they didn't make their flight, uh, as in the flight to the on the road trip after the game. Oh, jeez! Uh, and all of a sudden, it's you know they're that, that that's I mean, 
Alvarez, Bregman, Altuve, Malnuda, that'll decimate your lineup, obviously. It hurt anyone's yeah. lineup. He was four everyday players, um, three of whom are, are stars, and one of whom is, uh, in his own way, a star without being an offensive star. Um, you just, I'm the biggest Martin Maldonado fan in the world. I'll admit this. Um, <laughs> and it, it's, it's, you know, they lost to Detroit. They got swept. Um, Lance McCullers had interesting statements after the game, um, saying that they shouldn't have played and, and kind of played the victim role, which is not a good move to make right now if you're an Astro. Um, yeah. and you know, it's, we're back to, we're in a weird spot right now. Um, you know, obviously, Jay, you and I talked about our vaccine situation when we started the show. Um, but we're in a weird, weird spot right now where I think it's sometimes like super exciting to see where we are. And and I think this year has done very well in terms of, of the vaccination process. And I certainly got if you asked me in January if I would have gotten mine in March, I would have said, hell no, that's never going to happen. Um, you know, I remember telling my wife, I bet we'll probably be good to go like in August sometime. And here we are. And right. at the same time. You know, numbers wise, all of a sudden, like 30 percent of the population is vaccinated at the same time. It feels like we're hitting a bit of a wall where we're at 30 percent. And um, I know plenty of places in Illinois and it's suddenly getting that way in New York, even like are begging people to come get their shots. Right. And, you know, we need to obviously to get to much higher point than 30 uh, percent. I, I fear that this is going to affect everything. Like, I feel like the kind of thing we saw with the Astros last night is not going to be something we're going to be seeing only in April and May. And and maybe, I almost use the word more importantly, and that's not true. But less importantly, but maybe more important to owners of Major League Baseball teams. Um, like, I'm sure they started the year with a path in mind of how they're starting at X percent of stands. Obviously, um, oh, it's like 25% in New York. Uh, I think that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, it's lower in some states that um, know what scientists are and and higher in other places. <laughs> and, you know, the Astros are at 50, the Rangers are at 100. And I'm sure teams, some teams are going to get to 100, whether they should or not. And others, you know, unfortunately are not because of, of what's going on. And it just feels like this thing that happened with the Astros, all of a sudden, I think the window for the possibilities of these kind of huge issues for a team is, I mean, Astros lost four in a row all of a sudden and, and they lose four everyday players. Like, it feels like the chances of this happening to the 29 other teams, and obviously we saw the Mets and the and the, the Nationals issues, the Cubs have had some weird issues. Um, it just feels like that window has gone through, well, it'll probably just be a problem the first eight weeks of the season might be something that, that really lasts all year long. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm a bit more optimistic than that. I mean, I, you know, I know privately we, we were kind of going back and forth about the possibility of any team getting to 85% uh, vaccination and having their um, among tier one personnel and having their, uh, um, you know, the, their restrictions loosened. And we've seen, I think something like four teams uh, already, you know, get to 85%. Um and, and I guess, and, and I think one thing I learned along the way is the tier one includes all the guys at the alternate site too. Right. Um, so it's, so it's, a, it's a large, it's, my math didn't work, um, you know, in, in terms of like limiting it, limiting it to just 40 people or whatever. Um, but I think, I think just like every, everywhere else, it's, it's a race between getting enough people vaccinated and, you know, getting everybody to, you know, to, to, you know, to keep their heads and, and, you know the the inevitable, you know, spread that comes with the fatigue of of people, 
you know, maybe thinking that, uh, oh, the worst of this is over. I can let my guard down a little. Um, You know, I, I'm not sure exactly when the Astros were vaccinated. I know, um, but I seem to remember there was something about it. And I yeah, they had a window, some of those yeah. some of those players might have been within the two week window. Um, if, if if that's the case, uh, you know, then this is this is an unfortunate situation. But I don't think we're going to be getting these things so much all year in terms of like the team wide things. I think because I think if you know if you're especially if you're one of those teams that gets to eighty five percent, and I imagine. You know, situation like we saw with the Nationals, situation like we saw, like we're seeing with the Astros, situation like uh, 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 Andrelton Simmons, you know, being vocally anti-vax and then, and then landing on the COVID IL. Um, that some of these guys are going to get religion, and you know, and 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 maybe come around to getting vaccinated now. Um, you know, so that this this stuff doesn't keep happening. It's it's. You know, it, unfortunately, this vaccination has become such a politicized thing, just like everything else in this public health crisis. And it's stupid as fucking hell. And it enrages me to no end. Um, you know, and, and uh, we, you know, we see all of that reflected, you know, in, within what's, you know, what's what's going on in the game, especially, you know, when you're talking about a demographic that's, you know, that the that's more sunbelt oriented, more conservative than, mm-hmm. than, uh, than the, you know, than than. Uh, uh, than we are, for example, and, and, and has, you know, maybe more vaccine hesitancy. Um, and, you know, so we expected there to be these fault lines. So, I, you know, I was, like I said, I was impressed that some of these teams, you know, just stepped up and got it quick, you know, quickly. There was, no, you know, Cardinals first one, 85%, boom, Yankees, 85%. Meanwhile, across town, the Mets are getting marble mouthed about, you know, personal decision to get vaccinated. and Right. And, and, and 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 likewise the Dodgers and 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 the the Mookie Betts comments and you know I get like trying to keep this stuff behind closed doors and you know the argument to be made that you know the the, the public knows too much about player health and, and and things like that but you know we've been dealing with those situations for you know fifty years um, there's been you know a lot of transparency about about player health and I don't see where you know, where the vaccine really is any different other than the politicization of it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think I'm concerned. I'm more concerned about, about, you know, the general public in, in, in places where, you know, like Texas, where they've tried to open things up too quickly and, and, and Michigan where the, you know, where the variants are, are, are getting hold and some of these places mm-hmm. that just, you know, I mean, and, and New York's New York's not 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 you know is is guilty of this as well. I mean, opening you know indoor dining too soon and and not really you know uh, uh, you know letting letting the economic pressures dictate public health policy when that shouldn't be happening, um, and that and and that's a real problem, uh, you know. And I worry about uh, you know about uh, fan safety and 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 uh, you know capacities of ballparks, but I'm less concerned that we're going to be seeing you know, a new team outbreak every week um, throughout the season. I mean, we, you know, it's, it certainly felt like that could happen last year. And then, you know, we got three in a short time. Yeah, then, then we things, did kind of well, yeah. But then things then things leveled off. And I think that's probably what we're going to see here is, you know, we may see something here, but we're, we're seeing teams getting vaccinated. You know, we're two weeks into the season, so it's not surprising. We've still got, you know, uh, players and teams in that two-week window where, um, you know they're not fully covered yet, um, but I, you know, and I hope I hope that, that that they do see this and that they do come around and and uh, um, 
you know, more people do get vaccinated. And I, and I do think like giving the incentives, if you get over the 85%, yeah. I, I think, I think MLB did something, when MLB does something really smart, we should say it, MLB does something really smart in giving teams incentive or players incentives to get the vaccination yeah. because um, players absolutely hated traveling last year because of those restrictions right. and saying, if you get over 85, you can get rid of them. I, I think is a massive incentive for teams. I think it's one of the bigger reasons where that, that those, it's, it, it is absolutely the reason teams have gotten over 85% sure. at, at maybe a higher rate than we thought. Yeah. Um, and it feels like, you know, based on, on, on what I've heard talk people, like we'll probably be over double digit teams by the end of the month. Huh? Okay, cool. Um, it's, it's, it's moving in the right direction. I, some teams are, are, scuffing a little more than others like the Mets. Um, but it, I think overall, and, and a lot of it, there's also like just a leadership issue. Like if, if, if the, you know, if the vets and the clubhouse leaders get it, it helps as well. Right. And yeah, which is what, you know, why I was, I was ex, you know excited to see Francisco Lindor showing himself, getting a shot and mm-hmm. disappointed that Mookie Betts is saying personal decision, you know, whatever Max Scherzer saying, yeah, you know, I, you know, I believe in this stuff and, 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 you know, others, not stepping up to that same degree. I wish I wish they were all, you know, as vocal as some of those guys. Right, right. Um, back to baseball. Um, you know, a, a couple teams at the top of the standings right now. Bit of surprises. Uh, Boston had a Boston looked like a hundred and forty loss team in the first weekend of the season um, <laughs> at home against a not very good Baltimore Orioles team, and they have gone insane since. They're now nine and three. Um, the Angels have, you know, when 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 uh, Rendon's healthy, like the most exciting back to back to back pieces of a lineup in baseball. Um, is this real? I mean, I think that the Angels stood out to me as a as a team that 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 uh, uh, looked like they could be for real. I uh, you know I thought their I thought their their rotation. You know, within their six-man plan that included Otani, I, I I thought that 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 could be good. Um, obviously, you know, having a healthy Shohei Otani to go with Mike Trout uh, and Anthony Rendon, yeah, that you know, sign me up for watching that. They're they're one of those teams that I do kind of check in on uh, if 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 I'm not sure what else to watch, right? Um, you know, because the chances that you're going to land on on a Trout or Otani at bat, you know, if you if you if you stick around for ten minutes, aren't bad. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not surprised. To, I'm not surprised that the, that they're you know that, that they're doing. I think I may have even predicted they would win the AL West because I look at that Astros team and all I see is things that can go wrong. Even outside of the COVID situation, you know, we talked about the injuries, uh, the injury potentials of guys like Correa and and, and Altuve before, and the right, the and their pitching was lack of, to start the yeah, year. and the lack of lack of depth in that rotation. Um, I'm not sold on Boston yet. Um, you know, I knew that they'd be better because getting, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez back, uh, you know, is, is significant and, and, uh, um, but, uh, I'm not entirely sold on, on, on this being a, a powerhouse team. I'm not, you know, I, I am, I, I, you know, I figured JD Martinez would, would be, would be better than last year. And they do have some, some good, good hitters in that lineup, including Alex Verdugo, who's always going to have to wear that, uh, um, you know, that, that attachment to the, you know, being the return on the Mookie Betts trade. So it was right. always have the, always have the pressure on. Um, so I'm not surprised they've got a potent lineup. I, I had, I had the Blue Jays ahead of them in the, uh, in the American League East. Uh, obviously, Things are not that way yet. The Red Sox are on top. 
Uh, everybody else is 500 or worse in that division, although you know four, the other four teams are separated by a game. We can't really tell anything about that. Um, but yeah, those teams, those you know, both of those teams are competitive, so that doesn't really surprise me. And we'll just wait and see. I mean, you know, it's it, it's better than than seeing teams fall out of the race by starting two and twelve or whatever. <laughs> Have there been any other surprises for you? Oh man, I did not realize quite how good Corbin Burns is. That guy, holy Toledo! It's a I hell of a one-two punch in Milwaukee right now with Woodruff yeah. and Burns. It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's great. I wrote about that that Burns and and Barrios uh, uh, duel from from. Uh, that was a fun uh, one to watch. Yeah, yeah, that was that that was that was a good one. I'm surprised the Giants, are, you know, are 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 eight and four. I did not have them as being factors in the NL West. I knew that you know they've taken some interesting flyers uh, that are working in, out. Yeah, yeah. In recent, I mean, I love you know I love Mike Yastrzemski. I'm always going to root for a guy named Yastrzemski. Um, <laughs> You know, and 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 I figured that that uh, uh, Farhan Zaidi would 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 scare up some other interesting guys. Um, you know, based on you know based on uh, uh, what happened in Los Angeles, um, Akil Badu is a is a fun story. Oh my god, um, how'd that yeah. happen? Yeah, I, I you know you talked. I'm not I'm not the prospect guy, so I I, I don't know how uh, you know who missed on him or or how real this is. Um, but you know, it's, it's good to see tiger, the tigers have, have something uh, fun happen for them because they've had a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of dreary seasons lately. Uh, but God, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the standings here based just to base on our drop down and everybody, it's like everybody is six and five, six and six, five and six or five and seven. I'm, I'm like, no joke. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. 20 teams out of 30 are between seven and five and five and seven. Wow. I mean, it can't, you can't get much more parody than that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's comical. So, uh, you've been listening to counting with Jay Jaffe, our new podcast. Where Jay just counts things. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's fine. <laughs> and on that note, uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk to JJ Cooper, the executive editor of baseball America about, some of the rule changes that MLB is experimenting with in the minors and the Atlantic League. And then we'll come back and, and take your emails, talk about some other stuff. And now you listen to a great song by Rid of Me, who we'll talk about later. So stick around.
Welcome back to the podcast. You can listen to Rid of Me, special guest time. Our, our special guest, well, I, we were scrambling for a special guest. Our special guest scheduled for this week is actually going to go next week now. And I was scrambling for a special guest and I was like, oh, what are interesting teams? We could get a beat writer and a lot of them are playing right now because it is Thursday afternoon and, and, and beat writers can't join us when games are happening. And so this person made a huge mistake, which is they tweeted a general open-mindedness toward rule changes. And tw- <laughs> tweeting's a big mistake in general, but then he did something that I could yell at him about. So joining us from his uh, luxurious accommodations in the beautiful state of North Carolina, he is the executive editor of Baseball America, uh, covers what's going on in terms of rules and, and in terms of contraction. It just has been all over that story over the past 12 months, better than, than anyone in the game. Uh, and someone I've known for, I think, almost two decades now. and is Two decades. One of the, the, the most genuinely good people I know as well. And there's not a lot of them left. It's J.J. Cooper. J.J., how are you, man? I'm good. And I think it has been, I think it'll be two decades next year. Is that? Okay. I do. It's close. Because you were, you were working at BA when I started at BA. Oh, okay. So, I was wondering how much we overlapped. Because, I mean, you, we overlap like, I mean... A long while. Five years. I mean, yeah. I started September in 02. So, and, so, it's, so in September. Okay, so we're And then you years. left and I had to do Bapper. And uh, <laughs> and I still hold that against you a little bit because that consumed my life for quite a while. Like, it, you know, I mean, when I remember when I got married, my wife's like, you do this every day. It's like, yes, every day, you know. <laughs> and that's because of you, KG. Too. Yeah, these th- things are my fault. So I, let's let's get into this. You know, it was announced uh, again. We're recording on Thursday. It was announced yesterday that uh, Major League Baseball, as as is their will, treating the uh, Atlantic League like a, an experiment lab, um, which is generally that's fine. That's a good idea. And then there were some rule changes, and there's some things to talk about. Um, I think it might be best if we kind of go over these individually. Um, but let's start with the DH rule. So. Um, you know, people are calling it the double hook rule, whatever. So the, the basic concept here of, of this is you can start the game with a DH, but once your pitcher leaves the game, you lose your DH. Um, I don't get what this accomplishes, JJ. I, again, I don't know if it's going to accomplish anything. Uh, I think that the, what we will find is, does this, I, I think there are two things it could do. I'm not saying it's going to. Obviously, they hope that it means that teams stick with their starting pitcher longer. I don't think it will necessarily, but we'll find out. Like, if you have your pitcher pitching in the fifth or sixth and that pitcher is slated, the DH is slated to come up in the next half inning, do you try to get another half inning out of this pitcher so that you avoid going to the pen, you know, going to the the bench to pinch hit after that or whatever? The other way I would say that actually I'm kind of more interested in, will this change roster composition? Does a team end up having an extra hitter or extra hitter and an extra defensive, you know, extra utility defender or whatever on your roster rather than the 13th and 14th pitchers? It's the Atlantic League, so it'll be a few less because they don't carry 26 player rosters. But would there be a little bit different roster composition because of this possibility that you're going to need to pinch hit 
or make a double switch. Or again, I don't want to make it sound like everyone loves to make it sound like the strategy of a double switch. It's not that hard. I, I don't want to make this sound <laughs> like brain surgery. Everyone right, makes right. it sound like, oh, in the National League, you need to, you know, have uh, two PhDs to figure out how to how to switch in a shortstop who's going to hit six, you know, going to hit ninth, and then you're going to put in, you know, someone, the pitcher at batting six going forward. It's like, no, it's not that hard. But if it says that it does mean, again, there's other ways you could do this too, but if it does mean that you have another hitter or two instead of reliever number seven and reliever number eight, that I think could potentially have some benefits for, for, for how baseball is played. So, I mean, my, so here's my pushback. Number one, I mean, number one, we talk a lot about how Major League Baseball is focused on health and safety and is pushing that pitcher one more inning and having, you know, based on the roster thing you just discussed, one less pitcher on the roster. Are we then in a position we are putting pitchers at risk by trying to force that extra inning in them that they might not have? And then the second thing is, are we really living in a better world if Nelson Cruz's bats are cut by one third? Okay, my pushback on that would be Nelson Cruz is the exception now. Um, the You're funny right. thing about this is a funny that that's something I wrote uh, a couple of months ago. Is this was always kind of funny to me in this off season where there was MLB saying we'll give you the DH if you give us what we really want as far as the playoffs, and the MLBPA, I think logically saying. You know, the DH is not as much of an incentive for us. We're not living in 1995 now. If you look around, it is amazing to me that if you look last year, the DH was sprung on the National League with no notice. They didn't get to prep for it. They didn't go out and sign free agents. They didn't say, hey, there's this 35-year-old veteran who can really hit, can't play in the field anymore, let's sign him. They just basically rolled in most cases with what they had. And if you look at it, the NLDHs in 2020 outproduced ALDHs. And I think that just kind of adds to this whole idea of the Nelson Cruz is the exception. Edwin Encarnacion is kind of just hanging out there because I think teams look at it now and say, we'd rather have a rotating cast of, of everyone playing that spot. And, and so I, I do agree. It's going to, there's nothing really that exciting about seeing a reliever bat in the uh, sixth inning of a, of a six run game. But I, I don't think it's going to make a, there's not going to be a whole lot of guys who are significant who are going to lose at bats because of it. Can I, can I add a couple things here? Of course. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the idea that, that, uh, that, you know, baseball is going to breed out these, the, the Nelson Cruises of the world. I mean, you know, I know that these DH types like Cruz and Encarnacion and, and dialed further back David Ortiz, they don't fit the athletic ideals of, of, you know, what we imagine 21st century baseball to be. But these are these are guys who are immensely popular. And, you know, these veterans, they gain, you know, certain veterans who, who are able to stick in the DH role, they gain credibility and, and, and you know, fans like them. And, and, you know, in some ways, they're, they're just as much a face of the game as like the, the Tatises and Lindors and things like that. And I, I think we'd lose something if we're kind of marginalizing these guys. Um, you know, so I, I worry about that. And I also, you know, with regards to the to the injury risks of starting pitchers, I, I wrote about this for for Fangraphs on, on Thursday. Here, it's uh, it's in the pipeline as as we speak. You know, we've cut or we've we've seen the game cut starting pitcher 
innings averages by a full inning since 2015, from 5.8 to 4.8 last year. Um, and last year had the roster things, uh, you know, the, the roster issues and, and the seven-inning doubleheaders, uh, you know, having an impact on that. But, you know, we're not – I don't think we're really protecting pitchers more. I don't think this this rule is going to protect pitchers more. We're already – you know, I don't want to sound like the old school hard ass here, but we're already babying them just a little bit more mm-hmm. than than we that I think than we than we should be. You know, if a hundred pitches was the standard, I know hundred. There's nothing magical about a hundred pitches, but you know, it seems to me dialing back to eighty pitches for starters isn't the way to go. I just I, I wonder when when and I you know I know what the numbers say, but I wonder how many or how much of that reduction. And again, it's huge. The full inning and and to get under five is is kind of amazing but how much of that goes to um you know teams using the one inning starter and teams throwing pen games uh, like as opposed yeah, well, to what as opposed what kind of the traditional starter is going is, is do we do we know that yeah i mean well i think one th- that i guess one of the benefits of this of this uh double hook rule would be you you're, you're gonna kill that opener you're gonna kill those bullpen games um you know, because then you're committing to just you know a parade of pinch hitters as well as a parade of relievers. Is that a um, benefit? I look. I, I think a lot of people don't like the opener idea. You know, especially because the Rays came up with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think. I, I think. I, I think if baseball is struggling for mind share, uh, you know, in the greater sports landscape, cutting back the usage of starting pitchers and cutting back the usage of these old school DHs probably doesn't help. It just make it, it just seems like more, you know, players become more fungible and more anonymous. I get, I mean, then that was, that was my question really. And I, I, you know, certainly throws out to both you was, you know, as far as the double hook rule goes, I guess my question is to what end, like, I don't understand. Yeah. What, I, that's the thing. Like I understand when things are trying to accomplish and y'all you know, go back to like last year with the three, you know, implementing the three batter rule, that was supposed to shorten games, and it didn't. So it had a it had a specific purpose. It didn't accomplish it. So why do we have it? I don't even understand the specific the specific purpose of of this double hook rule. I don't understand what the, what we're trying to accomplish with it. I think the idea is is that, and this is kind of again, you can debate whether it's actually that important or not. I think the whole idea is this idea that they want to figure out ways for starting pitchers to stay in the game more longer and kind of to go to Jay's point, the idea being that starting pitchers as a general, if you're trying to construct an argument for why starting pitchers are more important, you don't want openers. I guess the best argument you could make is, is that because starting pitchers for the casual fan are the ones, I think Jason Stark just had a tweet today about this that basically made the point. If Max Scherzer goes out there and strikes out 17, it's a dramatic day if uh, if six relievers combine, if an opener and six relievers combine to strike out 17, it's not the same story. And maybe it's the narrative of a game that changes a little bit if starting pitcher stays in longer. But, and again, I don't know if that's worth doing this or not, but but that is, I guess, the, the case that could be made of why they're trying to do this. So, I, I, I mean, like, again, like, I... I you know, I'm not a huge fan of the opener. I'm not a huge fan of pen games. I think it's a smart way to go if you were forced to. I think saying this is a strategy we're going to employ as a strategy, I think, is is, is a mistake and, and can create some 
bad consequences. I, I think it's one of the reasons the Rays' bullpen is destroyed by injuries this year. But I guess I, I go back to, you know, it's, it's like the, the the shift rule where they're going to, you know, keep two guys on each side of the base in one of the leagues. I, I just feel like you're stifling innovation at a certain point in saying we don't want teams to be creative. Right. And, I, again, that this is something where I don't know if, of all these rules we're talking about, this is the one. I, I do agree through that. I don't know if the the goal here is that significant of a goal in this one. Is If the goal is is to get an additional inning out of a starting pitcher, and to I guess the other goal is to have a more interesting decision to be made in the fifth, fourth, fifth, or sixth innings. But if that's it. That's not a that's not a particularly expansive goal as yeah, far I think as you can for get, a change. I think you can get to this, you know, idea of keeping pitchers in longer by just limiting the number of pitchers on the roster, which was a rule that, you know, was planned to be implemented for last year and then got shelved um, you know, with the uh, as part of the health and safety protocols. Um, you know, we're supposed to we're supposed to have with these twenty six man rosters, you know, thirteen pitcher limits. Uh, and instead we're seeing fourteen more often than thirteen, I think. Um, you know, and three man benches in the in, in the American League, and and uh, you know, and it's just it's just awful. Um, you know, I mean, especially because one of those guys, the backup catcher, probably isn't going to play, right? And so you know, you you're you're never going to pinch hit for anybody. Um, you know, and 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 you've got that extra reliever, and and I I you know, I think if you want to push starters harder. Limit the number. Limit the number of relief options is is probably a, a way to go. And and this doesn't seem to do anything but create different problems instead of solving a problem. Um, that's kind of where I fall on this. So uh, let's talk about a rule that that, that does have a, a clear purpose at least, and that is uh, the experiment of pushing the mound back a foot. Um, and obviously, the goal there is to create more contact. Um, you know, the numbers say. Basically, perceived velocity goes down by a tick or two. That should create more contact. Um, I, I get what they're trying to do. I think it's really dangerous in the sense that, you know, the goal is to... Baseball, I think, is concerned about um, three-true outcome baseball. Um, and we're at, I think, like 35-plus percent right now of three-true outcomes uh, as a league, which is a lot. I get that they want more action... But my biggest concern with this one is that foot's a long, foot is a long way. It doesn't feel that way. Um, you know, pitchers get, we all see pitchers on the mound getting worked up about their landing spot, about, you know, not having the right divot they want in front of the rubber. Things are off by half an inch and pitchers lose their minds and, and feel like they can't get in the rhythm. If you're suddenly pushing guys back a foot, um, I the inability to make adjustments just off that foot, as well as just the distance creating a greater challenge for throwing strikes. I understand creating more con, you know, creating more contact and, and cutting down on the, on the three true outcomes that way. But I think you're going to create significantly more walks all of a sudden, and then it just becomes a zero sum game and you've accomplished nothing. Yeah, I, I think so. I'll let JJ go first here. Cause he's the guest. No, go ahead, Jay. Go. You, you go. Oh, no, I, I think, you first of all, do we, I mean, do we even know this is going to create more contact, or a batter's just going to tee off on ninety-one mile an hour fastballs instead of ninety-three mile an hour fastballs and and knock those over the wall? 
Um, you know, to me, that seems like the more likely outcome than, oh, let's suddenly start, you know, tending towards putting the ball in play with more level swings and, and get back to the ground game. No, it's, they're going to, they're going to, you know, launch angle the fuck out of these balls. <laughs> yeah. I think you you're, know? I think you're at least cutting down on strikeouts. That's the only thing I, yeah, I, yeah, can, yeah. I think, I think, so. I, I, think I think you might, um, I, but I, more I, contacts yeah. definitely going to need more home runs in today's game. Yeah. I, I think. You know, I, I I do worry about the injury implications, and I'm sorry. Look, I, as much as I respect Dr. James Andrews and Dr. Glenn Fleissig and, and all that they've done as far as, you know, bringing arm injuries to light, I was not at all convinced by the study that was cited by Jason uh, and and by the Washington Post and and and, uh, uh, and and on MLB.com that you know these you've got 26 collegiate pitchers throwing five fast maximum effort fastballs, and that's supposed to tell us that the you know kinetic Changes aren't significant enough to cause injuries. Well, what happens at 100 pitches, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and what happens at 100 pitches five days? And, and like you said, the control issues with the walks, and they're only doing fastballs in this study. What happens with, with, with curveballs and sliders? Because, um, yeah, I think, you're, I think you are going to see walk rates go up. And I, I feel for the kids, you know, who've been throwing 60 foot six since high school and suddenly have to make a change here. Um you know they've they've been working these repertoires to get to get them into the strike zone, um, you know the right part of the strike zone, and suddenly uh, I don't know it, it just to me that one just I struggle with it. I don't I don't mind that that baseball is trying to innovate and and to throw shit against the wall and see what sticks, but I you know I I worry about I worry about who's being who's the guinea pig here because pitchers they got it they got it hard enough they get hurt enough you know yeah. we're 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 potentially creating a, you know new ways for them to get hurt in this, especially because I think the psychology is going to be well it's a foot farther I'm just going to have to throw it a bit harder, and that's the, not going to help. The, now there's two things with this. One, I'm not even convinced. I again I I will start by saying you are right, KG. I am open minded about these things. I do worry uh, that the fact that there has at least been some sort of credible peer reviewed study is significant to me because if you did this without having any information, that would be to me (laughs) dangerous to say at least that there's been some study done that seems to indicate that this will not cause injury. Yeah. Add to the injury risk is significant because at least they have studied it. But at the same time, that study said that it doesn't increase injury risk. It also made the point movement does increase the further you, you go back, now, obviously, there's limits. If you said that someone's going to throw from 180 feet, it's not going to be something where you're going to have this nasty breaking ball that in the last five feet really, really breaks. But there is something to be said. Like, we don't know that off, that that breaking balls may not have a little bit more movement now than they did before. The thing I like, open-mindedness about this, is I want us to know on this one way or another. And everyone's been talking about moving the mound back, I feel like, for the last five years. And if you if the Atlantic League does this, now, the Atlantic League's going to struggle to get pitchers this year, I mm-hmm. think, because pitchers are, if they have other options, they're going to look elsewhere. Well, to be clear, like, I mean, two or three years ago, they wanted to push it back two feet to 62 feet. And yep. the, pitcher said, the pitcher said, good luck, we'll walk. I, I talked to pitchers at right before the midway point of that year in the Atlantic League who were like, I'm out of here if they do it. So it's going to be a, a hurdle for that. But that said, 
if you run this and you A-B test it where half the season's at 60 feet 6 and half the season's at 61 6, at the end of this, we're going to know enough that maybe we'll never talk about this again. <laughs> Which, <laughs> if, if, you get, if we get to the end of 2021 and they say, oh, you know what we found out? Walk rate went up. Strikeout rate didn't really drop. Um, and it didn't really lead to more contact. Okay, well, then moving the mound back probably gets eliminated as an idea for how to deal with velocity. Now, at the same time, if they do this and we get to the end of the season and they say, you know what? Walk rates didn't go up. Strikeout rates went down. Balls in play that actually stayed in the park went up. Well, then we're going to be talking a lot more about this because then it will have been shown that and especially if injury rates also don't go up, then it will be shown that maybe it's a viable option. Now, the other thing with the injury rates that's going to be really hard with this is we're coming off of a year where the Atlantic League had a few teams who played a couple of games and all, but most of these pitchers didn't pitch. And that's going to make it really hard to look at injury rates in 2021 as a whole and compare them to injury rates in 2017, 18, 19 and feel comfortable. There's not a lot of noise in that data. So I don't know even how we're going to know at the end of this year, whether actually it kept, you know, pitchers got hurt at the same rate, got hurt at a lesser rate, got hurt at a larger rate, because we're going to be comparing at at, at the minimum, we're going to be comparing uh, granny Smith's with uh, those green apples, uh, you know, those uh, with red deliciouses, you know, so I, it's at the minimum we're doing that, which makes it hard to know at the end of this year, does it really hurt people as far as pitchers injury risk or not? So, yeah. so I, I, have a, I have a bigger picture question for both of you here. And I, I think both of you could probably speak to this better than I could, which is, I mean, we've seen over the last few years, a, I don't know if obsession is too strong a word, but a real focus by Major League Baseball on how they want to change the game. And I, I, my does baseball need to change the game? I think so. I mean, I think we're, I think, you know, we've, we've reached this aesthetic ditch by like all these, you know, all it's, and I, I think a lot of it's caused, you know, by, by you know, analytic driven innovation um, you know the, I, la- the the la- you know the emphasis on velocity, the destigmatization of strikeouts. We have developed this game where there's not enough, there there, there isn't enough action. That there, we do have too many, you know, too much three true outcomes. Not a, not enough balls in play. Not enough speed. We've got incredible athletes who are being limited um, by the current rules and what they can do. And I think you know I as as, as I wrote in my piece, I you, you know. I don't love any of these rules, and I think you know there's some of them I really don't like. But I do think it's time for Major League Baseball to 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 fool around, and and you know you have to fool around uh, with the rules in ways that can extrapolate to to you know to the major league level. So you're going to use minor leaguers of some caliber, and some of them you know are in affiliated ball, and yeah, it might create a minor hurdle with their development. But you know you're you're sort of spreading that risk around. And some of it, you know, you're trying in an independent league. And, you know, I know that there's pitchers who say they'll bolt, but we've just had a, what, a 25% reduction in minor league teams. There are a whole lot of pitchers yeah. looking for work out there. Um, you know, and if, if some fringe guy doesn't want to do it, there's going to be, you know, three others who will. 
So I imagine we're going to see, you know, no shortage of, of, of pitchers willing to do it or at least to give it a try just because it's, you know, you're pretty close to the last, you know, the last stop here before you're, you know, pitching for the Ross Eversoles of the Kentucky Kentucky Industrial League to, to <laughs> use the, the ball four uh, uh, reference here. I, I, I always push back against the concept like this is the fault of analytics. I, I, I really think it's just it is really a function of, of like every sport around players getting bigger and stronger than ever. Well, um, I think that there's that, too. You know, I think that's why we have what we have. And, and you know, we've reached a point where, you know, and, and JJ, you know this as well. Like, you know, it's not even that long ago, like 10 years ago, if you sat at a Midwest League game and some reliever you didn't know came in and through 94 you'd sit up a little bit and go who's this guy and now it's just like yawn um now, you know, i can go call i mean college games now you see relievers come in do you want college games and a yeah. reliever comes in and throws 95 and you're like ah, ah, yeah breaking ball's not very good yeah, he's you okay know. it might be a late day three pick um <laughs> and, so I, not, and day three gets late really early now yeah that's <laughs> another story um so i i, I guess like, like i feel like you are fighting something well beyond like analytics and strategy just you're fighting you know biological progress you're fighting the fact that these guys are bigger and stronger than ever you're fighting that and it's in, it's in every sport you know I've, I, I've someone sent me once like the roster for the first super bowl team and it, you know some mid-60s i think it was the packers and like their linemen were literally you know they were like you know six three two thirty um I, and it's just like it's turning to a power game because these guys are such bigger and stronger. Um, one thing that never gets talked about is moving the fences back. That that was what I was going to go with. That's my big thing. That's the that's the way to change the game. So I'm saying if you move fences back, a we all know this doubles and triples are cool as shit. And is is that something that creates a more interesting game? Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. I know that that. Um... I, you know, I've seen that suggested that that moving, well, you know, moving the fences back is costly. But you know what? What an easier fix would be to to raise fence heights. Um, you know, because you could do that with while you know otherwise maintaining the existing dimensions, add a foot or two to the fences, and 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 um, you know, keep more balls in the yard that way. Whereas you know, if you if you're going to move fences out, you're going to require you know millions of dollars of construction costs and lost ticket costs and and you know and things like that 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 i think you know baseball owners are probably more likely to have reservations about than if you make it you know you know by by making it you know 380 feet down the line or something like that but i don't know i i I think that the fence heights is a little is, is is an easier uh fix I argue move them back. I don't raising the fences. All that does is turns a couple of uh, blue home runs into doubles and triples. But if you move the fences back, all of a sudden your outfield, what you have to cover, it, it increases effectively, almost exponentially. And if all of a sudden, it, it is kind of crazy if we think about it. What you to talk about there, Kevin? Like that we are playing in some cases literally in the same parks with effectively the same dimensions as we did. You go to a game in Fenway right. and those seats, you're like, these are insane how small these are it, because they were at a different time when you, you might call someone who was five foot 10, 200 pounds, you know, hefty, you know, and, and now it's not that way. Well, we're still playing in the parks with in many ways, the same dimensions. And 
I've kind of long said if we could safely bring back, and I'm a little nostalgic because I know this was an era where I kind of really got into baseball, but if we could bring back the speed turf of the 1980s, which was essentially playing on a lightly uh, carpeted concrete, and you can't do that for safety reasons, but it did lead to a different game because if you put Andrew Vaughn in left field in one of those parks and there was there wouldn't be singles to left field because anything not hit directly at him would be a double or a triple because it would scoot right on by him before he could get there. Nothing against Andrew Vaughn. He's just out of position, but we're not going to go back to that. So the other way to do that is to create these larger outfields where all of a sudden, all of a sudden making contact you, you have in some ways destigmat. Yes. We destigmatize the strikeout because it is absolutely right now more productive to hit an if Bobby Dahlbeck hits another 10 home runs and strikes out another 30 times or 40 times or 50 times, that's a fair trade-off. Well, if all of a sudden doubles and triples are happening all the time, that trade-off changes. And I do think that that long-term, yes, it would be expensive. Yes, in some cases, you're not moving the, the fence back at Fenway in left field. I, I get that. But if you started heading in that direction, that would probably, to me, make the most significant change to the game that you could make. And it would really just bring that a ballpark would be would fit Giancarlo Stanton the way it did, uh, you know, Hack Wilson. So yeah, uh, to, to, go sorry, ahead. I just want to, I, I, I found something I was looking for here to get back to the idea of raising fences. And I know that, that like just as a cheaper route to experiment with this, um, an exchange between Chris Dial uh, and Tom Tango on, on Twitter here, where Chris is a big proponent of this. And, and, um, but and obviously, you know, Tom needs little introduction here in our circles here. But he, Tom said, you know, raising of each fence, each foot that you raise the fence removes 3% of home runs, you know, and turning, instead of turning them into possible outs, converts them into doubles and triples. Well, you know, you add, add a few feet to those fences and suddenly you've got a lot more balls in play. Yes. The, they're covering, they're covering the same, you know, you're, You've, you've got players covering the same size of field. I worry that if you're moving the fences back too much, you've got this sort of course field effect where, you know, you've got outfielders who just can't cover enough ground and, you know, you've got endless doubles and triples and, you know, you know because, is that, because is that, is that, is that not a more exciting brand of baseball? I mean, in some ways, in some ways it is, but Jesus Christ, I, if I, you know, I, watching a game, watching a course field game is, is, is a nightmare, but that might have something to do with the way that the, uh, Rocky, the, the the particular blind spots of of, of multiple Rockies uh, front offices. Yeah, I was going uh, to say. Yeah, when it comes to you say it's a, night, so a nightmare, not, and yeah, part of the part of the the the, the 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 formula for that nightmare is that you're watching the Rockies, right? But I mean, I don't even want to watch Mookie Betts play in Coors Field, though. You know, I mean, maybe Mookie Betts, but not like just endlessly. Um, I, I think you know it by the by. The second inning of of a, of a three game series, watching a good team in Coors Field, it's like okay, what you know, what 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 else is on today? So I, I, another part of the rules that that did not get reported as much, and you were on it, JJ, is um, some of the automated strike zone stuff that's going to happen, and they're how they're kind of working with um, a couple different zones now, and one is to. Um, lower the zone to get rid of the high strike because there's no contact up in the zone, um, but also making it wider. Are there ways to alter the strike zone to create more contact? 
I I am having watched Atlantic League games in 2019. I'm I, I think that this is <laughs> this is a one that makes a whole lot of sense to me. And I'll start with I start with the idea that if you're going to do an automated strike zone, you tear up the current strike zone as it is described in the rule book and you start over. There is no reason that, for one, there's no reason that the hollow of the knee needs to be in any way in the wording of this. But I I, I think that you, you look at it and say, if we're going to do an automated strike zone, what's the best way to do the strike zone? And what we saw in 2019 is you could get called strikes and really difficult to hit swing and miss strikes up in the zone in the Atlantic League automated strike zone that I don't I don't know a whole lot of what a whole lot of hitters who could do anything with those and it struck everyone as that's a strike that seems weird well at the same time it was almost universal everyone I talked to at the time said if you are an east west pitcher who wants to nibble on the edges you cannot do that with this strike zone. It's it's a very narrow zone. And really, not because it wasn't, it was following the rule book. The strike zone was drawn up as the plate, but that's not really how umpires necessarily right. always call it. And beyond everything else, if you want more balls in play, if you said we're gonna make a wider zone and a skid, you know, but one that's not nearly as tall, well. If I have a little bit extra room in and out, that's potentially weak contact. Yeah. That's not... It, the bat's a lot longer than it is tall uh, on a normal swing. Mm-hmm. And so if you say we're going to take away that pitcher, and a little bit at the bottom of the zone too, but especially at the top of the zone, and we're going to widen it, that probably is a zone that's a little bit more conducive to less strikeouts and more contact. So, I mean, overall, when you when you look at all of this, uh, how it's, you know, we're obviously coming up on a new CBA. I don't think they'll be ready to negotiate these kind of rule changes in, you know, late summer of this year. But uh, do you think, you know, put on your, your, your Kreskin hats here, like in 2025, say, do you think Major League Baseball looks on a rule level significantly different than it does right now? I'll jump in to say when it comes to automated ball strikes, they don't necessarily have to get agreement on this. Right. They can create a fait accompli. If if the robo ump spreads from low A Southeast, the artist formerly known as the uh, Florida State League, to uh, to the rest of the minors over the next four or five years, you come to a point where all of a sudden automated balls and strikes has to come to the majors because you're not training minor league umpires to call balls and strikes on their own. So we're heading in that direction. The more we see robo umps in the minors. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to see some of these rules stick and some of them, you know, just discarded by the wayside. Um, You know, and I think I, I, yeah, I've, you know, I was, I was the cheerleader for robot umps now. You know, back back in my prospectus days, <laughs> to, to to a point that it got parodied on Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. I, in, in practice, I'm a little a little more nervous. Uh, you know, with the ways it's implemented, particularly because of that East West thing. Um, you know, and 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 I'm concerned about. I didn't. I did not actually get to watch a single Atlantic League game when this when the when the Robo Ump was used. So you know, and I don't think I'm going to be making it out to the Low A Southeast League. Um, 
this year, but yeah, maybe I can maybe I can uh, catch an Atlantic League game. We're we're close enough here in our my uh, in Brooklyn that I could probably get out to something. But uh, um, I think we're gonna you know I think this is this you know all of these rules what we got the, like eight different rules or something like that that are being tried at various levels. You know, like they're like prospects unto themselves. Some mm. of them are gonna make it. You know, some of them are gonna make it. Some of them are gonna be like, oh, what the hell are we thinking? Um, and I and I expect you know that. You're going to need more than a year to look at these things, you know, especially 61 foot six or whatever, um, you know, and these these rules will get tweaked. I mean, if you go back and you look at the designated hitter rule, you know, the miners, they were in the late 60s, they were trying it out and they had they had, you know, some some constructions that didn't quite make it uh, into form. Like it was kind of like a wild card batter rule. Um you know, as to where you could apply the DH and, and, you know, so it was, or, you know, like a random pinch hitter getting to hit more than once, um, you know, in a game. And, and, you know, obviously it didn't take that form once it, once it reached the major leagues. Um, so I think we're going to see these rules, you know, the best of them tweaked a bit to see if, well, you know, 18 inch spaces might be too much, but what if we do, you know, 17 inch, I don't know. Just, there's going to be, there's, all this stuff is subject to revision or maybe, you know, maybe the two, the, the, um, the shift rule, uh, you know, with the uh, two on it, you know, two players on either side of second base doesn't work, uh, you know, or, or, you know, or doesn't have the, the intended effect, but the, the part about the, you know, keeping the infielders on the dirt does. And, and so maybe we see that. And so it's going to be some give and take as, as these rules work their work their way towards the major leagues. Um, but I, I think this is the right time to start trying this stuff because, you know, we're baseball is kind of in this existential fight for its survival, especially, you know, after the pandemic and, and after they've lost crowds. And, you know, I mean, and after everything in this country has been so politicized to the point that, you know, that, <laughs> that even, you know, that, 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 you know, people are threatening to stay away over the, you know, the, the stupidest shit in the world. Um, so... I, I think it's good that baseball's trying something, even if not all this stuff works, and even if we hate some of this stuff. Um, JJ, I, I, we we've kept you for long enough. I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't change the subject real quick. Um, you know, like I said in, the, in in your intro, like you've been covering kind of the business side of of the minor leagues as well, and 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 you know we're on top of the you know all the negotiations during uh, what I think can only be classified as a hostile takeover of the minor leagues by major league baseball um, you know you are always kind of the story breaker there um, now that the dust has cleared and we are where we are with with the reduction in minor league teams um, and and you know plenty of franchises are now indie others have have you know turned into this draft league and things like that it's 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 you know for lack of a term it's over it's happened um, what are your feelings on the whole thing? I think there's still a lot that's still still to be sorted out. I, I think the thing, and I've tried to cover it, but the part that, and it's related, but it's almost not related. The part that is still not fully understood, I think, by most even diehard fans is how economically damaged minor league baseball has been by the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, there's uh, obviously I talk to a lot of people in minor league baseball and they make the point and they're coming from their own perspectives, but they lay it out. And I'm like, you know what? I, I agree with you. I can't really come up with another industry. They make the point 
that there may not be another industry. There are very few industries, I guess would be the way to put it, that have been more damaged than this because we can talk about airlines and cruise ships and all that, but they'll make the point, okay, yes, the cruise ship industry really damaged by COVID. But their point is the cruise ship industry was cruising along until March and all of a sudden everyone realized that cruise ships might be a giant Petri dish for COVID and it shut down. But in minor league baseball, everything was going along as normal and everyone was spending money and staffing as normal from October to February, 2019 into 2020. And knowing they were spending money that they were going to make back not spending money that they had already made, but really doing the investments that you do into your upcoming season, knowing that on a good day in June, you'll make a ton of money. And all of a sudden that stopped. And here you go. All of a sudden you have teams who lost 90% of their revenue. And now at this point to own a minor league team means that first million is not the 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 most you know there there are not doubt there are there are, you have to be a millionaire pretty much to own a minor league team now although I do think there were some partial owners who got capital calls and did not realize necessarily that there could be capital calls for <laughs> right. a minor league team I just did this because I thought it was cool to own a a couple of percent of a minor league team but what do you mean I have to kick in money but um but that's the part that is not going to be made whole in any way by 2021. So that's this side thing going on because you have all these teams who they're not going to make money in 2021. They're just going to lose a lot less and hopefully turn the page to when 2022 they can make money. But the second part of it is, is that there's going to be this pretty massive adjustment period slash learning curve because uh, to just give an example, I'm working on a story for our minor league preview of Baseball America uh, about this right now. When you, okay, we talk about broadcasters in the minors for 2021. Well, they've been told because of COVID reasons they can't travel with the team, which is a big issue if you're a broadcaster. Pretty hard. And in some cases, they've been told by their teams, you're not traveling on the road anymore. So they're trying to figure out how to do a broadcast when the team's on the road, if they're not on the road. And there are a thousand things with that to the the detail of how do I get natural sound from that ballpark so that my games don't just sound utterly dead when mm-hmm. I'm doing them off of MILB TV and the game day app or whatever. And those are all things that in past years would have been handled by what they would have done is, is all the Eastern league broadcasters would have talked to, they would have coordinated and talked to the Eastern league president and the Eastern league president probably, or someone in the Eastern league office would have been in charge of saying, okay, so here's what we're going to mandate. Every team has to have this feed. You're going to put it on YouTube. They're going to grab it, whatever it is. Right? Well, there's no, they just announced the regional supervisors who are going to be in charge of these, this, this basically this pat this week. Um, and so there hasn't been those people, they're still putting people in place to coordinate all these things. And so there's going to be this pretty significant adjustment period. I know I've kind of gotten into the weeds on this, but I'm sorry. That's kind of where I am on this. A lot of these things is hearing (laughs) all these in the weeds parts of it. 
the big picture aspect of it also, we're not going to know for a while because are, are the, uh, is there going to be a lot of franchise movement in 2025 because teams can't meet the facility requirements? Is there going to be very little? I don't know the answer to that, but I do know it's going to be significant. And do you think like these, these economic struggles of the minor league teams, which are very real, uh, for lack of a better term, like MLB was therefore opportunistic in doing what they did now because these teams were so desperate? That's where it is really, really hard to separate the two. I, I, the, I, to use a political term, I, I think it's absolutely true that MLB ensured that a good crisis didn't go to waste because mm-hmm. they, they, this was absolutely a part of everything that was going on. And so you had these teams who were already in very difficult situations. But if you told me, could there have been a very normal 2020 season and we'd still be sitting in the exact same situation we are now? I think it's also very possible. I never knew. And I tried to lay this out kind of all through this. You had two parties in this. One party absolutely positively needed the other. Minor league teams need Major League Baseball. but And minor league baseball, as far as the organization in St. Petersburg, needed Major League Baseball. They're the ones who provide the players. They're the ones who provide the umbrella that makes them different than indie ball and all those things. Major League Baseball does not need or never did need minor league baseball in the same way. So... If Major League Baseball decides that they want to take over and run Minor League Baseball, there was never going to be, other than congressional, you know, political action, there was never going to be some perfect argument, some perfect answer that Minor League Baseball had that would prevent that. Because at the end of the day, Major League Baseball could go to each individual owner, and by the way, 30-some, 35, 38, 39. Numbers hard to get exactly, but a whole lot of these are owned by major league clubs. But they could always go to those owners and say, come work in our system. We'll keep providing the players. And the walk-away argument for minor league baseball was turn away from major league baseball and become indie ball. Mm -hmm. That was never going to be a winning argument. Well, JJ, I want to thank you for coming on and talking about these issues with us. If you want to follow JJ on Twitter, he is at JJCoop36. What's the 36 for? Jerome Bettis. It is. <laughs> it, it, it goes back to my Steelers fandom. <gasps> well, stay safe there in the triangle. And maybe we'll... I, 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 I actually stunned you for a moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah it's a football thing. Um, <laughs> and hopefully we'll have you uh, back on sometime in December to talk about your... Uh, Absolutely disturbing obsession with the Rule 5 draft. Akil Badu, baby! Akil Badu <laughs> and Yerman Mercedes. We have a minor league Rule 5 star and a major league Rule 5 star in the same year. <laughs> so thanks for coming on, JJ, and uh, we'll have you on again soon. Thanks. Sounds good. Good to talk to you guys. Take it easy, JJ.
back to the podcast, musical guest time. You've been listening to "Rid of Me." I, this is a mildly interesting story. So, you know, like I, Jay, you have Instagram. You post yeah. pictures of your children's Instagram. So, like, you know, I was looking at my Instagram and I got this thing like "Rid of Me" has followed you. I'm like, oh, who's what's "Rid of Me"? And I looked, my like, oh, it's some band. Do I know these people? They look like punk huh. rockers. And then I clicked. I'm like, no, they're way too young for me to know them, and they're from Philadelphia. I don't know who these people are. Um, and I followed them, and so they're on my Instagram. I'm like this, like cool sludgy, you know, punk rock. This is cool. And so I said, "Hey, can I play your music on the podcast?" I said, "Yeah, here, here's stuff." So this is rid of me, uh, kind of a heavy melodic noise punk from Philadelphia. Um, has members from Flight Amp, Soul Glow, Low Dose. Um, they will have uh, an LP out in late 2021. What you're listening to are. Uh, songs from their first two releases, Summer and Broke Shit Demos. Um, check them out on Bandcamp. Look for Rid of Me. They are good and cool and heavy rocking. And thanks for uh, thanks for letting me play their music on the podcast. Are you ready for the emails? Oh, yeah. Send us emails, folks. We read them all. We answer some of them. <laughs> the address is chinmusic at fangrass.com. And send them. Look, we want, it. we want to hear from you. We want it. You have to engage in the show. Chin music at fangrass.com. Our first email comes from JD. This is a fun question. And he says, Tatis's injury and maybe the threat that it was something that resurfaces had me thinking about past injuries in the what if question. Growing oh up, I always wondered what Griffey and Bo Jackson would have been able to do over their careers had their health not taken a toll. I'm curious which players whose playing times were derailed by injury are atop your damn. I wish I could have seen a healthy full career from them. Um, I, Jay, I know you're you know quite the historian. Obviously, um, I think Griffey's a great name. Obviously, Griffey's a Hall of Famer and 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 should be and has fen- you know phenomenal career numbers. But like, to think about what those could have been if he was healthy is is it wouldn't have just yeah. been Hall of Fame numbers. It would have been much so much more. Yeah, I mean Griffey. I think we're talking about a guy who could have you know topped Hank Aaron in, you know in home runs and done it without the. Um, you know, without the attendant controversies that that uh, um, that that made it such a drag when when Barry Bonds did it, um, you know, because he had he had that kind of talent, but he just he couldn't stay healthy. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's it seems it's at the same time it seems rather stupid to to, to complain that you know all oh we only got six hundred and whatever home runs out of Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, I mean you he know. certainly would have got to three thousand hits. He ended up somewhere yeah. around twenty eight hundred. Like he yeah. was at he was at four hundred at the age of thirty. Right, right. He was yeah he he was bound for the stratosphere. It was, it was, you know he, his name came up in a separate context. The other day, because you know, I was making light of the you know, imagine trading Mookie Betts, and somebody asked me, um, you know, can you think of a situation where a recent MVP got traded, and the team that traded him was the one that came out better in the deal? And I think you'd have to say those Mariners did, because Mike Cameron mm-hmm. had like Mike Cameron in the four years he was he was with Seattle center fielder. Uh, not only did he help him to that 116 win season that we've mentioned before, um, but he outwarded Griffey. Over over the remainder of his career, like those four years, like he had eighteen wins. Griffey had like thirteen or something post trade, for like ten years. So like a huge advantage for the Mariners, and they also got other players in that deal, some of whom were inter- intermittently useful. So uh, so the first guy I always think of is Eric Davis. Eric Davis, yeah, that was the first guy I thought of too. So Eric Davis um, only played over a hundred games eight times in his career. 
his career high in games was 135. Um, he was a spectacular uh, power speed combo in the in the mid 80s for the Cincinnati Reds. Um, his first full year, he had 27 home runs and 80 stolen bases. Um, and the next year, in 129 games, had 37 home runs and 50 stolen bases. Uh, he walked he hit for power. He ran. He was, I you know, maybe the I thought he was the most exciting player in baseball for a while. And in a healthy version of him, like you'd be talking 400, 400, maybe 500, 500. It just would have been insane to think about. Yeah, I, we're talking about a guy who would have been mentioned in you know in the in the context of 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 a, of a, of a maze and a bonds in terms of like power speed combo. May not might not have gotten to the same career levels uh, because he got a bit of a later start, uh, but. Yeah, absolutely. Just electrifying, and you know, men of a certain age, which is to say, our 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 age, yeah, are, are, are all you know, all he's he's like easily the guy who comes up, and I knew, I knew that that he was uh, uh, likely to be on your list when I when I saw that email first. I um, saw Eric Davis at the winter meetings like five years ago, and uh-huh. I would I would have given him an NRI on the spot. <laughs> he looks phenomenal. He looks yeah. like he, like he was in amazing shape. Yeah. Who's wow, who's who's great. your who's like who else do you think of other than Eric Davis? Oh, let's see here. Um, you know, a, a lot of pitchers, unfortunately. I mean, just such is the nature of of of, of pitching. Um, you know, I wonder what what Fernando Valenzuela. You know, thinking talk, guy been writing you know was wrote about last week. I wonder what he could have done if he'd mm. uh, if he'd been used just a little bit less. Um, you know, if uh, this is a guy who got to 170 wins and had some, you know, had some big seasons, but he was throwing 250, uh, 250 innings a year or more for like seven, eight straight years and just some ungodly pitch counts in there. And like, if they'd ridden him a little less hard, you know, I think we'd be talking about a guy who gets above 200 and is in the in a Hall of Fame conversation when you, you know, when you factor in the cultural impact. Um, so that's that's one that comes to mind. Um, I don't know. Like another one for me know, is, is Gooden and Strawberry. I was going to say Daryl Strawberry is my next one, just because you know Daryl. Like even when Daryl was playing a lot, he was always good for a DL stint or two every year. Yeah, um, but yeah. but like his last, I mean, his last year, a full year of full time play was his age twenty nine season. Yeah, and he was a beast when he was with the Yankees. I mean that ninety that ninety eight team. He was like the secret weapon when, when yeah. he was available. He was just he was a monster. Um, just you know, just incredible talent, uh, and, and and limited availability. Um, boy, I have to think for a minute here. Uh, you know, you know, a lot of starting pitchers that kind of flamed out. Dave Steeb, another guy who who oh, you know, God, I wish I, I wish I wish could have held on a few more years. He comes up in Hall of Fame conversations. Johan Santana, mm-hmm. uh, you know, more recently. I mean, two times Cy Young winner probably should have had a third. Um, you know, and what does that conversation look like if he's the only three-time Cy Young winner uh, who's not doesn't have a PED rap who's who's, who's on the outside? Um, you know, when it comes to Hall of Fame conversations, um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I'm 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 quickly typing here, like just to see what I don't even know what Santana finished up with. So he's at 139 wins and just short of 2,000 strikeouts. Yeah. It's just yeah. not enough. I mean, he was again like another guy, like the last his last year, you know, in the comeback was, was his age thirty one season. He just couldn't he couldn't accumulate, right? And I mean, his his career totals are not like, you know, not you know, for like for, at least for like you know, Jaws, he's ahead of Sandy Kovacs, 
you know, similar similar uh, mm-hmm. career war and and and, and Jaws. Um, Koufax had tw- and Koufax threw twice as many innings. You know, the difference is, is that Co- you know, sorry, uh, no, I'm looking at the wrong column. Scratch that. <laughs> Koufax threw only 300 more innings. Um, but you know the the difference between you know playing in a, you know pitching in a high offense era and pitching in a, a situation that you know where you had every advantage because you had an eight foot mound and you know pitching in nineteen sixties Dodger Stadium, um, you know takes a little bit of the shine off those stats, which is why Koufax is only eighty ninth in Jaws. Um, but I mean Koufax himself, you know what could he what could he have done if, if mm-hmm. sports medicine were more advanced in nineteen sixty six? And obviously um, Koufax is helped by the the World Series. You know, yeah, and playing for chips. Sure. sure. Um, it's funny. The first pitcher that always comes to mind for me is a guy with, with zero innings, and that's Brian Taylor. Um, oh, yeah, of course. You know, uh, Brian Taylor was uh, the first pick in the 1991 draft out of a high uh-huh. school in North Carolina uh, by the Yankees and was going to be the next big thing. He was a uh, great body, great arm action, huge fastball, uh, and just looked like a future monster. Um, and got into a scuffle in a bar, I believe, and hurt his shoulder. And that was that. And it was over. And he couldn't, he, he literally couldn't throw a strike again. He did try to come back, um, and was literally incapable of throwing strikes. Talking about like, you know, like literally like 20 per nine walk rates. And, and that, and it was over. Um, he was, boy, I hope I don't screw this stuff. Someone's going to yell at me if I do. I think he was the first guy to get over a million dollars in the draft. Um, and was kind of the, the the first guy to really make draft bonuses explode um, and looked every bit the part, and it all kind of went to hell. All right, pitchers, uh, J.R. Richard, if you hadn't had the stroke. Oh, geez, absolutely. I uh, met J.R. I met J.R. Richard. I ever tell you this? I bet you did. I, I, bet you I did. met him like my, my first week in Houston, and all oh, I can wow. tell you, so I am, I'm not the smallest human being in the world. I'm 6'2", 200. Um, J.R. Richard shook my hand. And I, I, I felt like he, I feel like he enveloped my arm up to my elbow with his hand. It was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, the guy was just phenomenal when I started watching baseball and, and, and so dominant. And then, you know, he was there and he had the stroke and he was gone. And I know he tried to come back, but he never made it back to the majors after that stroke in 1980. Yeah, done at 30. Um, yeah, done it. Completely done at 30. Um, Brett Saberhagen, another two-time Cy Young winner mm-hmm. who, who just missed full seasons and had like seasons of less than 10 starts all over the place. Um, one that I got a close-up view of uh, here in New York, Nick Johnson. I mean, that guy could hit. Oh, you know, had, sure. Yeah, I mean, he just – but that guy found his way to the disabled list every time um, just to to an absurd degree. I don't, I don't know if his, you know, if his bones were made of balsa or what. <laughs> <laughs> He was a good player. Yeah, he could on base machine with power. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, like you know, the, the bat only guy. But yeah, he it, it's only four seasons with over a hundred games. Wow. Um, wow. Man, he was something else. Um, next email comes from Daniel. Daniel says, "I'm a Reds fan and have an inappropriate level of excitement related to TJ Antone." Daniel, your level of excitement related to TJ Antone is perfectly appropriate. <laughs> This guy's going to be a really good pitcher, and I hope he gets a shot in the rotation. Uh, from what I from what I've read, his work with Kyle Body, who now consults with the Reds, has brought him from a fringe major leaguer to a possibly dominant part of the Reds' pitching staff. 
Can you speak specifically about the unexpected rise of Antone? If not, can you talk about how Driveline and Body have impacted on player development? Where does their work rank among recent player development analytic trends, launch angel defensive shifting, even the original advent of OBP and Moneyball? Um, I think Driveline does a really good job. Um, I think their principles in general are good and correct. I think it's interesting that they... I do think they get guys throwing harder. I do think they get guys spinning baseballs more, and I think they do it in a very smart and scientifically based way. Um, in general, when I worked with the Astros, if a pitcher wanted to go to drive line, it was that's fine. It was it was it was a perfectly fine thing for the most part. Uh, it wasn't universal for the most part. What drive line taught um, wasn't going to go against things that the Astros taught. Um, and so, you know, obviously some things were a little bit different, um, and there's maybe a little more focus on command with the team than just stuff. Um, but in general, I thought it was a benefit. The one thing I always wanted to do with driveline that, that, um, no one ever approved was uh, my thought was always because driveline, you know, swore they can get anyone throwing harder. Right. And I'm, I'm, you know, anyone I'm a little skeptical of. Um, and my thought was always kind of put your money where your mouth is. And and I always wanted to call Kyle up and go, hey, we're releasing these 10 arms. We're going to send them your way. And if you get any of them to start throwing consistently four miles an hour harder, we'll pay you $50,000 for each one. Um, and, and, and let it go that way. But I think driveline is really smart. I, I think Kyle's going to provide real value for the Reds. And I think any team, you know, adapting you know what they did to to a real player development situation is going to succeed on on that level and i think you've seen you've seen this all over the place in player development where um teams are hiring driveline people and as well as other people from i guess quote unquote outside baseball like when you think about player development hires it's way less um that guy who played for nine years who wants to coach for a couple years to get his pension um and way more of uh, kids who know R and can read a Rapsodo readout uh, and, and help that way. It's, it's changed very, it's changed on player development as much as anything in the last three years, really. Do you, do you have any thoughts on driveline, Jay? Do you pay attention to that stuff? No, I, I mean, I, yeah, I just mostly just see the, see the, uh, the outcomes of it and, and kind of keep track of like, oh yeah, this, they said this guy's going to driveline and remember that. And I have a recent piece I wrote on a, on a, on a picture that I forgot. About the about the uh, the the driveline connection, I kind of felt like, oh shit, how did I miss that one? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, no, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have a ton because because I don't really have any any background in 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 scouting uh, or, or dealing, you know, dealing directly with that stuff. I don't keep track of that stuff as much, but you know, I do find it fascinating when 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 you know when when guys like you or or, or Eric Longenhagen or, or or whoever are, you know are telling me about. Uh, uh, the advances that that uh, you know that are that are being made in this area, and just I mean, just in general, the malleability of player career paths yeah. based on based on interventions like driveline or like you know the, all these all these swim doctors, um, you know that we've seen that we've seen over the years that just totally blow up our our assumptions about um, you know how how drastically a player a, a player can change and and. You know, getting back to the Dodgers and what a machine they are. I mean, how they keep finding, you know, these guys like the Chris Taylors and Justin Turners and, <laughs> and, and you know, and, and whoever. Um, 
and yeah, be be very interested to see what happens with the with the Reds and body. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good thing. My only problem with driveline, and it's not driveline fault at all, is just like I think they contribute greatly to uh, what I call Twitter pitch videos, which I which I annoy me. Um, but it's not their fault. Like, I, first of all, I don't care if you got, if some pitcher took like three crow hops and hit one hundred one. I don't care. Like, let's see him mm-hmm. do him off the mound. But like, it's just the little things, and I guess it's fun. And maybe I'm just being an absolute like old man yelling at clouds here sometimes. But like a good example is you know Zach Greinke threw a 51 mile an hour curveball, and I saw that video on Twitter 117 times. Hmm. Along with along with 412 tweets about how awesome he is, and no one talked about the fact that he gave up six runs and didn't have a breaking ball. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that like, well, is this? You know, I can. Major League Baseball players are unbelievably talented, unbelievably talented. And we can talk like I. That's the thing. Like we talked about, I don't know, like like Corey Kluber's and and and. Corey Kluber doesn't look like Corey Kluber anymore. I could still go watch either of his two starts so far this year, find a couple killer sliders and tweet him and go, man, check out this Corey Kluber slider. Like, that's great. Is he good? I don't know. Right. You showed me one pitch. Right. Um, yeah, I I, I, I get that. Uh, but I, but I, and even as an old man who yells at clouds, um, I will say that I think you're yelling at clouds here. Yeah, no, um, you're right. I know I am. You know, I think, it, I think, I think there's, you know, there's an element to which baseball has lagged behind, uh, in the social media game, and you know, like the the ways that you know, Major League Baseball would crack down on 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 uh, oh, gifts yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and videos, and, and it's like, yeah, let this you know, let these like singular moments, let fun stuff happen. even if even if they are kind of common, you know, kind of commonplace and not necessarily reflective of 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 the full spectrum of player skill. Let you know, let's enjoy that Zach Greinke. Uh, uh, whether uh, the arguments over whether it was in fact an EFIS pitch uh, because it did not reach a certain height, um, you know, I mean, like the semantic, like I am, not, I am not here for the semantic bullshit um, about it. Let's just enjoy it because Zach Granke is just so so weird um, yeah. and and entertaining, and and let's just let's just enjoy that. And if he if he had to wear six runs, yeah, so what? You know, that's not not that big a deal. Um, I, you know, I think it's I think it's cool that we that you know that we've got people who are, um, you know, talented enough to, to do things like create these overlays that show us, um, you know, really like you know pitch tunneling, uh, and and how it works in in ways that are much easier to understand than than, than looking at a spreadsheet and trying right. to say, oh yeah because I mean I've never seen a a pitch tunneling metric that made any sense to me and gave me a sense of, of how it works in the same way that a three dimensional representation showing you know all the five things that a Udar- that you Darvish's pitches can do uh, once they leave his hand and how how similar they look you know coming out um, so I think I think that stuff is really cool. Um, I know that's kind of tangential to you know what 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 the you know drive like driveline itself is doing, but there do seem to be a lot of a lot of people who are sharing a lot of knowledge about pitching out there, um, and I'm I'm taking something from it, and I think people even if they're not necessarily taking something from it that's applicable to um, working within baseball, they're you know it's an it's a new way to appreciate the game, and I and, and I kind of enjoy that. Okay, I'll change my mind about this. I'll enjoy pitcher gifts from now on. <laughs> Glad I, could, our, glad I could talk you into it. <laughs> our final email comes from Patrick. 
Patrick says, I am Mr. Patrick Kuiper. I work in a trusted bank in Europe. I'm sending this brief letter to solicit your partnership to transfer 10.5 million U.S. dollars, which was deposited as a fixed deposit by our clients before his death in 2009. I shall send you more information and procedures when I receive a positive response from you. I look forward to hearing from you. Yours sincerely, Mr. Patrick Kuiper. Um, I don't know if this guy's related to Dwayne or not, but it's $10 million. <laughs> Um, so if you have an offer of ten and a half million dollars, which was deposited as a fixed deposit by your client before his death, chinmusicandfangraphs.com. We need the money. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't believe it's taken this long to sort it out if he died in 2009, but hey. Yeah, why really? Look gift, why look a gift horse in the mouth? It's been 12 years, my dude. What's going on here? <laughs> and as, I mean, you got to think 12 years at ten and a half million dollars with interest. I think it's grown a bit Ooh, now. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was it was a million dollars then. So, uh, Jay, let's catch up with you. Okay, I have questions for you. Sure. You are you've 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 authored books about the Hall of Fame. You started a blog. You now have a a a, a Baseball Writers Association of America card and a Hall of Fame vote. If I would have told you like fifteen years ago, you'd be the most influential name in Hall of Fame voting. Would you have laughed me out of the room? Yeah. But it's I mean, happened. I'm, I'm but it's still, happened. I'm, still, I, 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 I'm not sure if it has it happened. I don't know. Yes, um, it's happened. Burt Blylevin's in the Hall of Fame because of you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I helped. I helped. I think. I think. I think there are people who would say Rich Letterer did a lot more than I did, and, and in, in that particular case, you know, okay. But I think you could point to half a dozen guys that 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 are there. I, you know, I, when I was in I was in Cooperstown just before the world went went to hell. Um, you know, for a thing that Jeff Katz put together and, you know, took a took a moment to go into the plaque gallery by myself, which is the greatest thing, one of the greatest things in the world you can do if you're a baseball mm-hmm. fan. Get a few minutes in that plaque room by yourself um, if you care about the Hall of Fame and that kind of stuff. Um, it's like it's like having the Sistine Chapel to yourself. Right. You know, I mean, just not only is it an awesome setting, but it's an awesome setting that you and only you are in. Um, and so I'll go over to that little, uh, there's a bay over there that has a lot of the guys that have gotten elected over the last, uh, uh, you know, 10 years. And I can point to say like, that guy might not be in if I hadn't written about him, that guy might not be in. And some of these guys, they're, they're like, they're my guys, you know, Edgar Martinez, um, Ted Simmons, you know, his plaque wasn't up yet, but there's a space reserved for him. Mm-hmm. And these are guys that I wrote about in my book and suddenly they're in and, and I, you know, I, I didn't do it myself. Um, but I certainly, you know, I know that I helped and I, and I get a certain, you know, feeling of pride that, um, that they've gotten their due because, because I helped. And, and Have you heard from any of them? Um, you know, I interviewed Tim Raines, um, you know, and, and it was made clear to him, you know, that I played a part likewise, uh, Edgar Martinez, um, I met I met Reigns. I did not. I, I just missed Edgar at the, uh, um, uh, at the uh, 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 induction weekend thing uh, a couple of years ago. We Emma and I, because Emma uh, uh, edits Jason Stark at the Athletic, mm-hmm. he was kind enough to include us on his VIP list, um, and so we got to do a lot of really cool stuff, including going to the post um, post Spink and, Fr- and Frick Award post parade. Uh, oh, nice. Cocktail cocktail party in the in the hall gallery, um, so like I'm I'm at a table, you know I'm I'm wandering around with you know like a handful of you know cheddar cheese cubes, looking at looking at uh, George Brett, Johnny Bench, Rod Carew, and Joe Morgan sitting in a little four top, 
uh, right, in front right. of their plaques. And it's like, you know, there's my childhood right there. And I'm just gawking. I'm not talking to anybody. And yeah. you know, there are people there who know these, you know, who know these guys and will talk to them. I'm just, you know, just starstruck. Uh, really, the old, like as, as starstruck as I've ever been in my, in my life. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it, it, that, that was, that was, that was super cool. But I, in doing that, I just, you know, I was trying to chase down Edgar Martinez through some writers that, uh, uh, that, that, that know him. And I just missed him by a step or two. Uh. Um, so that, so that, so that didn't happen, but I did, but I did get to interview him and that was cool. Um, uh, I've, uh, I, I, uh, briefly spoke to Ted Simmons after he was elected and made plans to, uh, to talk in a later date, but the pandemic kind of got in the way of that. I should probably pick that up and, 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 uh, uh, take advantage of that conversation, uh, uh, opportunity here soon at some point I'd like to do the same with Larry Walker. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's cool knowing that you played a part in this stuff and, and, uh, uh you know, I'd like to do another book, uh, on, you know, another version of the case book or something like that. Um, I've got a whole bunch of ideas, uh, and, and, uh, uh, optimistic about uh, the progress of some of the guys that I've been advocating for that are on the current ballot, uh, guys like um, Scott Rowland and Billy Wagner. And, That's what I wanted to ask. Like, who is like who is your 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 current um, like who's who's number one on the this guy Roll, needs to be Roland on the list? Is, yeah, Rowland is my big cause. You know, after 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 getting you know after seeing uh, Walker and and uh, uh, and Edgar get in and those guys were such the focus of my attention before that raids and all those guys got in in year 10 and it was kind of a white knuckle ride along the way. Um, really pleased that, that, that Roland's all, all the way up, uh, uh, you know, to, to 50, whatever, 50 something percent and, and, and Wagner got to 40 something percent. And, you know, even that level tells you that these guys are going in eventually, maybe right. not necessarily via the writers, um, but more they have, guys they have than, the right momentum. Yeah, they they have the right momentum and they have the right you know they have the t- the time is on their side now and this is you know this is this is uh, you know the probabilities are, are greatly in their favor especially once you get above fifty percent. Um, you know it's it was such a dry year to have to have a, a vote this year mm-hmm. um, and all the you know the shitty controversies that were um, you know centered around uh, um, you know the, not only the PED guys but obviously Schilling um, and, and just the how shrill that conversation is and right. all that. I'm so, I'm, I, you know, I'm tired of that. I'm just, I'm, I'm ready for new guys to hit the ballot and, and, and you know, looking forward to it, but it's going to be a while, I think, before we get, uh, I mean, this, you know, we've got David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez uh, hitting the ballot this year. So that's, that's going to be, we're in for, we're in for more shrill conversations here in the, in the near future. And I'm, I'm a little worried about like how, how much of that I've signed up for, but uh so I do you think, and this is maybe a difficult question to ask for, in particular you as someone who went from you know a guy with a blog to a guy with a card to a guy with a vote. Um, do you think that they should reform Hall of Fame voting? I think you know I think there's there, there's room for it. I I I don't think that the answer is. I mean, I think so many, some of the proposals you know, that, that people have are just silly. Do not put it just in the hands of the players. We saw what happened. We had 10 years, you know, plus without, right. a, without a living Hall of Fame, you know, without a living ex-player getting in um, because nobody was good enough for their country club. We, I mean, the players couldn't even figure out that Marvin Miller belonged. Right. You know? I mean, that's just, it, that's, that's idiocy. I mean, that's just idiocy and selfishness. Um, 
you know, I, I, I'm, I'm open to the idea that we should have more historians involved uh, in the process. If you're talking about, you know, whether it's BBWA or, or committees, uh, I'm open to the idea that we should let broadcasters have, you know, have some, uh, some vote in this. You know, I don't think it, it has to be limited to the writers, but I do think um, there should be, you know, comparable service requirements, you know, for those, for those people, uh, 10 years uh, in the field. I'm glad that the MLB.com writers, um, you know, have been, you know, were admitted to the BBWA a few years ago. I think some of them should have been grandfathered in because they've been around, um, you know, well more than 10 years. Yeah, young. sure. What, what, you know, like I'm thinking, you know, I met, you know, when I met you it was Anaheim winter meetings, I think 2004. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Matthew Leach, for, for example, is somebody else who I met at the same time and, and, and uh, you know, maintained, uh, uh, you know, friendship with, and, and I think, you know, why is this guy doesn't get to vote, vote for the Hall of Fame? He's been doing this right. you know, long, you know, much longer than I have, or just, what, you know, what do you think about like, people like that? Yeah. I, what do you think about the guys voting who haven't covered baseball for 13 years? You know, I, I can, I, this, the sunset clause thing, you know, where it's, you've limited to, to 10 years after, I think is, 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 is reasonable. Um, I think you earn that vote, you get that vote for, you know, for a minimum of 10 years and, 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 you know, because in theory guys you covered are on the ballot, but I think there comes a certain point where, yeah, it's, if you're not covering the game anymore, you're, you're, you know, you're losing some touch with it. You're, yeah you're, 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 you're sticking to a very outdated, you know, point of view when it comes to, let's say pitcher wins or whatever, um, or PEDs, it's probably time to, uh, you know, to, to, to let somebody else have, have, have the say there. Um, but I, you know, I think the sunset clause was, was, wasn't unreasonable. I think maybe you could tweak the requirements there in terms of what constitutes, you know, like an, like an opportunity to renew, um, you know, even if you are semi-retired, like if you're, I don't know, if you're, if you're 10 years retired, but you just did a book about baseball and you were in your retirement years, you're probably still in, still in touch enough that you get to get to keep going or something right i don't know i don't have anybody specific in mind here no i know um, I, but you know I, but I, and i also think that the, you know that there, there are people like you know lifers who've you know changed the industry in a lot of ways like bill james and, and john thorne and pete palmer that probably should have a vote in there somewhere too um you know i think there's and again i think i think you know broadcasters i'm not opposed to that although you i think you have to be a little bit nervous about you know, the potential for homerism there um, yeah yeah you yeah. know when you've got team team employees but i'm I, you know I, I think i think the writers are still the best ones to 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 be to center it, it around at least to the you know the the basic level i think it's it's uh, that that's a good starting point and i think for the most part the writers' votes have gotten a lot better in in recent years. Uh, you know. It seems that way, and I, I know people focus on the bad ones, it, and and because that's it's that's more fun. It's uh, it's uh, you know it's, you see all I mean, you know, you see the ballots on Twitter every and you know and um, yeah, and you go oh that yeah you, know, you look at the guy's ballot you're like yeah it makes sense, but you've nothing else to say about. It. And meanwhile, you know, dipshit Charlie over here submits a blank one or something, and and you yeah go nuts for an hour. Um, are there people and are there People with Hall of Fame votes who just find you an annoyance. I'm sure they. Do. I'm sure. Absolutely. Do you think that? But do you think that number's gone down though in the last few years? I, you know, I think the accept. I think people. People might be. You know, there there might be some people annoyed by me certainly, and but I think there's probably more acceptance, grudging acceptance, even if they don't necessarily see, you know agree with my point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I I am 
you know, as far as I know, the first person to go from an independent blog to, to getting a vote. Uh, it only took me 20 years um, to, to do it. So we're not, we're not talking about a, 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 a career path that, that one would one would design from scratch. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I like I'm never going to be at the ballpark as much as a beat reporter. And I know that there are, especially within the BBWA, there's a great deal of consternation among certain people as to right. you know how often you know who gets who gets credentialed and how often they have to be at the ballpark and and you know i know that if i if i had been uh let's just say based in a different city than new york um i'm you know i might not have lasted in the bbwa for as long as i have because you know people were literally taking attendance um and nobody's ever sweated me that here and I've never been treated as you know anything less you know by you know people that the people that I I know, um, you know that I see at the ballparks. It's you know I've been I've been very generously treated by you know and, and even within like higher ups in the BBWA. I mean I helped out. There was a there was a thing where we studied uh, um, possible changes to the ballots. It was like 2015 when Susan Slusser was president. Mm-hmm. Or 2014 maybe or whatever. And it's like. You know, there was a handful of BBWA presidents who, you know, were more than passingly familiar with my work and whatever. And 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 uh, at a time when I probably could have been, you know, subject to uh, attendance, att- attendance uh, uh, questions, um, I was instead, uh, you know, had had the ear uh, of, of, of of people. And, and, and that's been cool. So, um, you know, I, 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 I keep showing up and I keep doing the things that I'm doing and I think I help. You know, even if you don't necessarily agree with, with what I'm doing or, you know, with 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 Jaws, I think, you you know, a a voter could find my outline of a player's career helpful. They may, you know, bristle at some of the editorializations, but at least they'll remember, you know, that there was a playing time conflict here and, and or a dumb trade there. And mm-hmm. that, ha- that had a, that had an influence on why this guy didn't get uh, uh, the playing time he should have earlier early in his career. And, you know, and I, I hope. You know, I think I, I I hope I hope you know people can find use in it, even if they even if they don't agree with all of it. And you you mentioned that you think there's another Hall of Fame book in in, in your future. Um, is that just something in planning stages right now? It's you know I have like like a running outline of uh, uh you know of 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 topics. You know, I kind of keep a list on my phone of of, of of topics, and you know certain candidates come along and they weren't included in the first book, like mm-hmm. you know Scott Rowland, for example. And and who knows? I mean, given that we're, how what the lead time is, by the time that book hits the streets, Scott Rowland may be in. Right. Uh, I mean, I may not have to include him, but but at the same time, I may have. Uh, um, you know something like I have a I have a Kenny Lofton chapter that I that I had to cut. Oh, okay, that's a great you know, name. And and my original intent was, oh, if this goes to paperback, I'll I'll put I'll put the Kenny Lofton chapter in there. But it never went to paperback. Um, part of the problem was I sort of had an absentee uh, agent situation, and so nobody mm-hmm. was really looking out for me. Um, and I'm you know I'm I'm somebody who needs a prod. Uh, you know, to help to help uh, capture the initiative or whatever, and I and I, and so I, I've I, I probably would have started this process had it not been for the pandemic. But the pandemic has had my hands full with parenting and 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 basic survival stuff for the last year, and so I think in, until we're clear of at least some of the facets of it, <clears throat> uh, I'm reluctant to to try to commit too hard to saying okay, I can I can have you a manuscript in eighteen months or whatever. Um, you know, and start that clock. 
Um, but I do think that there's, that, you know, the, the, my book didn't sell great. I don't know where the break-even point is, but um, I do think that there's an appetite within the industry for, for a follow-up. And, you know, I, I, a lot of this came from your, your, your system, JAWS. Yeah. Um, is JAWS something for you that is, um, I don't know, fixed, like a known product, or is it something that you still step back and try to tweak once in a while? I, I, I'm kind of playing around with some things behind it, but I'm also kind of nervous that, like, if I, you know, there. so when I when I introduced it at Prospectus, um, the formula for peak was five consecutive years. Um, and then within, like, 18 months, I changed that to seven years at large. But there's people who still think it's five consecutive years, 15 right. years after the fact, you know, and, and, and so want to be careful not to confuse people and i think there's a beauty in the simplicity of of you know of i mean war itself is is is, is a complicated stat but if i'm telling you i'm taking a, a measure of a player's career war and a, what i and what i'm defining as a player's peak war and i'm kind of you know weighting those two things equally you can intuitively understand that even without you know getting too involved in in, in the in the nitty-gritty of it but if i say yeah we're you know I'm making a workload adjustment for starting pitchers of the 19th century, and it's kind of a sliding scale that that's going to involve, you know, pitchers from the 21st century. And suddenly, it takes, you know, it, it takes a longer explanation, and and I get nervous about, um, about that. Um, I've been playing with a, a different reliever formula, mm-hmm. um, you know, where I'm using uh, uh, win probability and and WPA leverage index. Uh, um, what's that context neutral wins uh, factoring those in and found that that actually does a really good job of exp- of, of kind of uh, uh, explaining the Hall of Fame relievers better than Jaws does it puts guys like uh, um, uh, Trevor Hoffman even uh, you know towards towards the top and, and Billy, Billy Wagner shows up really well there yeah and so I'm, I'm thinking that would probably be the first thing that changes um, I don't really have a name for it Um but uh, I've, I've thought about, uh, you know, I, I have, and I have the ear of, of, of folks within baseball reference and, and, you know, first, for, let me, let me back up and say, like, it's a fucking thrill to go on baseball reference and see that, you know, I've got, yeah, is <laughs> Josh on every player page and, and, and actually, you know, my, my book is mentioned on every, uh, uh, every position, every position page. And those things are, you know, those, those position by position breakdowns are, you know, are, are are centered around Jaws and that's really cool. And they're on the hall of fame balance and God, that's, you know, that's, it's amazing. Um, so I don't want to mess with it too much and, and, and create too much confusion, but, but I do think about tweaking it and, and probably, um, you know, we're looking at maybe something for next year, um, where there might, at least the relievers, I might, I, I might try to formalize that. Um, so let's move to a moment of culture. Okay. We talk about something outside of baseball, a book, a movie, a video game, whatever <laughs> that worked for you recently. Um, so I, one of the nice things about not working in baseball every is, is, is that I actually have nights. Sometimes I can sit with my wife and watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been uh, utilizing strongly our Criterion collection, Ooh, or, criteri- I, or rather our, our Criterion channel. 
One of my best friends works for Criterion and has since the, since the 20th century. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, huge Criterion Channel fans. And I've been catching up on just, uh, like, I, I don't know, I've never heard of that. That looks good. That looks weird. Oh, I, let's let's just watch Preston Sturgis bullshit all night. And, right. you know. Um, so, anyway, a movie that I'd always heard of, never seen, um, called Tampopo. Have you ever seen Tampopo? I have not. I've heard of it, though. So, I thought of it. It's funny because, like, uh, it, it made my eyes run because you mentioned um, The Ramen Place. So Uh this is a movie about ramen. Um, It is a strange film. 1995 Japanese comedy about uh, a group of uh, misfits helping a woman uh, develop her ramen recipe into the best recipe of all time. Oh, wow. Um, And it has like weird like spaghetti Western kind of feel to it at times, even though Uh it's it's noodles Um, and all sorts of strange characters and strange little diversions. I, I just heard it was good a long time. And I'm like, I never saw this. And my wife's like, I never saw this either. And we watched it. It's wonderful. It's like this wonderfully weird thing. And um, it, it's over the top comedy at times. It's serious at times. It's sexy at times. It's a super fun movie. It's such a strange thing. And the guy who directed it didn't. It's like, it's, 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 he's a bit of a one hit wonder. He did do some other things, nothing on this level. Um, but if you can, if you have a, first of all, if you don't have Criterion Channel, I highly recommend, you know, getting rid of one of your other streaming <laughs> services and getting Criterion Channel. Um, but Tempopo, they have, they have the whole Criterion edition up there on the channel. So you get like, there's like a whole making of and all sorts of background interviews. Um, but Tempopo, a, a weird comedy about ramen noodles is what I recommend this week. Yeah, that's, that's great. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. My, um, so yeah, one of my best friends and uh, actually former roommate uh, has has worked at Criterion forever, and uh, uh, this is not this this won't be my 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 culture pick here, um, but he has produced a lot of the Fellini DVDs, yeah, um, in, including the Essential Fellini box. And I was living with him when 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 he was doing some of these things, and I was like, you know, I am not I am not the I am not the uh, um, you know the the deep film buff or whatever, but uh, it's like in the last year. I watched some of these things. I, the only Fellini movie I'd seen before this year um, was Eight and a Half, which I'd watched like 20 years ago, which is like, what the fuck was that? Right. Um, but uh, uh, Emma and I went back and we watched a few Fellinis. I think we watched uh, Eight and a Half, we, uh, La Dolce Vita, uh, Amarcord, and those were all, they're all delightfully weird. And like, you know, once you sort of detach yourself of the need to, um, you know, to, to commit to like following a plot and just like let, weirdness happen on screen and just enjoy you know the the, the surreality of it the, those those movies are delightful and, and i'm sure there are deeper meetings that are missing and references that are missing not always no that's the not thing always, like, but, i think that's i think that's one of the best awesome. things about his is that they're not always these deeper meetings yeah they're 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 fu- they're, they're 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 funny as hell too and they're just they're entertaining i mean like yeah. you know and in terms of like unplugging from baseball and from unplugging from you know the larger situation around the world right now uh, and in this country, it's uh, um, those have been nice. But one of the things, the, the thing I was going to bring up, um, you know, we've it, we kind of at any given time are watching maybe three or four different series. Um, you know, we'll stop working at uh, a certain point and kick back and have a beer and, and, and watch like an hour long show or a couple mm-hmm. half hour long shows and things like that. And we'd sort of, you know, because a lot of these, you know, studios have, have not been making things uh, during the pandemic. We kind of run out of things and we're on our second time around. Like we just started a rewatch of Mad Men uh, after finishing a rewatch of, of, of something else. But one that we hadn't seen that is new to us is, is uh, Peaky Blinders. 
Um, never I seen. Have, I've never seen this. Yeah, it's um, you know uh, early twenty, you know World War One era British gangs um, in Birmingham, and um, you know it's got a few recognizable actors, um, uh, including uh, Cillian Murphy and uh, Sam Neill and and um, you know bloody as hell and you know, a lot of violence and, and you'd probably need your subtitles on unless you've got a you know good ear for, <laughs> for, for for British you know for certain British dialects and we usually make it past you know to the credits and not much further and it's funny you mentioned that uh, um, that uh, was it the rid of me band yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's like is that a PJ Harvey cover band? Um, yeah, her, her, her music, her music gets gets used a lot. Nick Cave's music gets used a lot. It's oh, nice. Very, it's got this like the music aesthetic itself is like that kind of drives it. This sort of like dark, um, you know, uh, danger, dangerous, bluesy sort of vein that those two are working in. Um, you know, like Red Right Hand is the is the is the default opening credit song, and sometimes they use different versions of it and things like that. Um, but we're about two seasons in. I think we just started the third season. They're British seasons, so they're like only like six episodes long. Right. But but you know, there's an intensity level there to the to that show that uh, um, that we've been enjoying, and and uh, um, I, you know, I don't know what I don't know why we resisted it for so long or didn't just didn't know about it. I, it's, but it's, it's been it's a nice my... find. It's funny. I, 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 it's been sitting in my Netflix list for I think literally years, and we've never started it. Oh yeah, check it out. I so mean, now we start it. Yeah, it's 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 worth it. I was I was really glad to discover it because it's like okay, this is this is the thing I want to watch, and and you know it's it's uh, uh it's one where the cops are the bad guys, and I think uh, just like uh, the real world, just like the real world. <laughs> Uh, if you if you're I don't know if you're still doing the Fellini stuff. If you want like a little unknown, no, it's not like obviously it's famous for like eight and a half La Dolce Vita. Sure. Um, Juliet of the Spirits is actually my favorite Fellini film. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll make a note of that. So, uh, but I think we're done here. Okay. Uh, thanks for joining me, Jay, on a Thursday afternoon. Yeah, this was a blast. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. I know you got eight million other things to do and a kid to take care of. Um, and and so I, I appreciate you filling up the busy day. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. If you have an email for us, send it to us. Chinmusic at fangraphs.com. And and next week we'll have a milestone. We'll have it, we'll we'll reach double digits in episodes. And we already have a special guest booked. I'm way ahead of the plan. Hmm. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>